Deadwood Soundwell. God is our misery, Joe Keenahan used to say. The least we can do is share it. You have found The Real War Project. This is Batch 8, Episode 1. We watched 1987's contains explicit language and plot spoilers. Hi, Charles. Hi, Aaron. This movie's great. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. This movie's great. This movie... Don't you wish you owned this instead of the damn busters when it comes to movies that use the (laughs) N-word? I own the damn busters. I do not own this movie. These are both. It is on Criterion. <laughs> it is on Criterion. So if you buy it on Blu-ray, I mean, it looks beautiful. It looks beautiful. Yeah, I, bet. Is, uh, I bet. Why does it look so good? It looks like um, a picture book. It's that 1980s, just deep, soft focus it it helps that it's all in the mountains and you know Uh it it feels like a hobbit movie except from like the 80s when they're all coming down from the hills in the beginning and hazel dickens shouting out those words right like it just looks like a storybook to me and i was hoping you could tell me a little bit about why um so this is a movie that i had seen a long 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 time ago on vhs and so my memory of it is of a movie that is very muddy looking Hmm. and entirely way too dark. Hmm. But the substance of it, so good that I watched it a lot of times ever since my dad rented it when I was a kid. It's about coal miners, so muddy looking and dark might be apropos, but go on. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of makes sense. But when I was, um, you know, I'm a trained cinematographer, and one of my books is a book about cinematography written by Haskell Wexler. Mm. And so that's like, you know, what I had read. And he's very smart and a very, um, a very accomplished cinematographer. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and watched May Wan and I was like, holy shit, this is a Haskell Wexler movie. Why does this look so bad? (laughs) Anyway, fast forward to like 2015 or whenever the Criterion Blu-ray came out where they did like this HD, um, you know, remaster of the movie. And the text is the Blu-ray looks amazing. Yeah. It turns out that it's like, yes, it's soft focus. It's like very rich, like beautiful, natural colors, you know? It seems a little muted, but at the same time, it is like very rich, beautiful greens, you know, like that. It's just all of it looks so good without um without looking overly stylized so you know Mm -hmm. it's like you have the michael bay look of like Mm -hmm. the last movie we watched of uh (laughs) where it's like everything has like a blue light behind them (laughs) an orange an orange light and you know it's like the michael bay look looks very cool but it Mm -hmm. has like an action feel to it (laughs) Mm -hmm. this one feels like you're watching you're looking at like a 
like one of those Dutch masters, you know, where it's like somebody lit by just a candle and a lot of like black space in the background. And then there's like another person just in shadow or something. Yeah. That's what it feels like you're looking at. Yeah. So I said before we watched it that for my class, we watched Jonathan Sales, the brother from another planet, which I think comes out a year after this does. And um, I've grown to really love that movie. And I've learned about Jonathan Sales through that movie. Um, I haven't, I haven't, I listened to your episode when it came out, but yeah. I haven't gotten back to listen to it. So I, I could you refresh me on Just Brother from Another Planet? Very briefly. Without without us going into your other show right. in just a big long clip yeah right. well i can't tell you what episode it was as much as i'd love to plug it but we do we have a whole episode on the brother from another planet over at the alien movie and if um, you're interested in john sales a guy who also made secret of rona nish so i know yeah. that one of our only other listeners is my older sister yeah and so it's like we we love secret of rona nish yeah so in maybe the, we i want to watch this in the intro to bell hooks is real to real she mentions sales as a white film maker who has done some you know interesting things when it comes to representations of blackness from his position of authority you get it she's like here's an interesting way of doing it it's it's a brief mention but it's in there and um the brother from another planet is fascinating you got joe morton who is an alien that cannot mm. speak who comes to earth um and lands in harlem and um, one of the first things he sees is a police officer pushing a black man up against the side of a car and it's um, super or sorry juxtaposed next to him looking at a you know very uh, like white statuesque porcelain Jesus with nails in his hands and blood streaming down his face and this is you know um, a kind of commentary on blackness from the uh, perspective of a white filmmaker that does a lot of things right and that does a lot of things wrong, right? There's a lot of critical components to it, but as far as framing the conversation very, very directly in, in, in fairly non-fetishizing or tokenistic ways, I think it is safe to say, that movie has a lot to offer on what alienhood can look like from the standpoint of a good alien. It still does a lot of stereotypical things, all, you know, whatever, but um, this movie... I went into this movie expecting something critical because Sales puts his politics on display. Whiteness in The Brother from Another Planet is hilarious. Thanks a million, folks! Um, I think this movie is a little soft on whiteness, I'm going to say, and I think it's a little soft on nonviolence, I'm going to say. But um, it is very explicitly about both, which, you know, for the 80s is just light years ahead of the competition. It is a little preachy, and sales can come off as a little preachy. It's hammy at times, and sales. He comes literally off as plays hammy. a preacher in the movie. He's literally a preacher. He is an alien hunter in the brother from another planet with um the uh, sheriff in this one, whose last name I'm forg- uh, forgetting. Oh, um, uh, Stather. Um, David Stather. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Stathern and Sales are hunting Joe Morton in The Brother from Another Planet. So their position as hard hitting anti, uh, you know, socialist preacher and honest to goodness, decent shooting sheriff. That one's interesting, right? Like, it's interesting. It is. It is really um, interesting because, yeah, the, the parallels to then have a preacher and a cop. Yeah. Um, it, I want to hate him, but same, we're not same actors to. then playing playing somebody hunting an alien like that would yeah. be then the Mets way of thinking of it. We're working together on this one. I see. 
except except Sid comes off pro people Sid, in this movie, and he's. I was going to say I've written in, it in my notes, and I've asked it on Twitter. I said, "Does a cab include Sid Hatfield?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think it oughta, and it don't. And um, anyway, I have more to say on whiteness and how this movie pulls some punches. But what I'll say is, I came into this movie expecting, you know, that, and what I'm coming out of it with is touching on a lot of things we've talked about. We've said, what would pacifism look like in a war movie? And this speaks very explicitly to that. Um, it ends up with a bullet in its head uh, at the end, which is predictable when it comes to pacifism. I'm like, these folks are always getting killed. That's weird for people who, you know, don't do anything, which is the kind of myth of pacifism is that it means doing nothing. This movie represents pacifism very explicitly. I think it makes a pretty good coherent argument about how pacifism works and what it's for. It recruits you for pacifism. I also think it recruits you to bring a gun to a gunfight in the street at the end. So I think it's complex. But um, as far as just giving us this conversation, it's great. And just from the research that I've done on it, lots of different articles talking about how it is an interesting platform to look at like uh, labor relations, to look at the ways that race and class and and citizenship um, and yes, settler colonialism all come together around all of these like like really amazing moments in history. It's a great find. I'm really pumped. I'm, I'm glad that we are watching it. I think that as far as the real war project is concerned, if we are in fact not doing genre criticism, which we are not, this seems like, a, you know, a great fit. You know, it's not a war movie, but it starts off saying we had a war down there. And uh, <laughs> that's like, you know, it's great. Um, how does it start, Charles? You, should we just get right there? Should we go down into the hole and hear some dripping um, I'm water? I'm going to also, <laughs> let me just say before, uh, before we jump totally right into it, um, I came back to this movie because um, um, before I quit my job, I almost got fired there because um we had an old train that's apparently the oldest operational steam locomotive in the um at least in the united states Mm -hmm. it was called the torch lake Mm -hmm. and the torch lake comes from a place um in the upper peninsula of michigan um known as calumet and calumet um used to mine copper and so if you read if you're a montana kid and you're reading about our copper stuff you will eventually read about calumet and um, and then I was listening to old Woody Guthrie and a song popped up, a Woody Guthrie song called The 1913 Massacre. And in his song, he said, take a, take a trip, trip with, with me to 1913, 1913 to Calumet, Michigan in the copper country. To and my ears perked up because Michigan I live here now. And I thought, oh, I should learn about this history. I'll take you to a place. The song is whack. A bunch of kids die. You know, it's like it's cruelty inflicted upon families by gun thugs brought in by the union. A company called Baldwin Feltz. Mm-hmm, Would you mm-hmm, believe it? But most everybody remained on the floor. The gun thugs, they laughed at their murderous joke while the children were smothered on the stairs by the door. Such a terrible sight I never did see. We carried our children back up to their tree. The scabs outside still laughed at their spree And the children that died there was 73 And and then I learned that... (laughs) Well, I learned all this shit about it, and and 
then one day I was at work driving the horses around and that old Torch Lake train went by. And on the side of the Torch Lake train, it said Calumet and Hecla Mining Company. And I thought, oh, shit, that's the same company from this song about this horrible, this horrible cruelty. I got I got reading and reading. And <laughs> and then I eventually, you know, it's like if I can tie a story back into an artifact at the museum, then I feel like I can get away with telling it, especially <laughs> if it is factually accurate, you know? Mission and so I would <laughs> so I would do this and then eventually I got caught and I got called in and they said there was a an, a guest who had written up a thing where they said he talked on and on about the copper mines and it seemed like he didn't like them at all. <laughs> Oh, and no. as I never said that I didn't like them nope. or nope. or nope. I, I didn't come down either way. It's weird. It, All what, I said, you say that they brought in a bunch of thugs to just shoot up a bunch of kids and that was how they put down the union. It <laughs> sounds like you don't like them, Charles, but all you're doing is telling it like it is. <laughs> and they didn't do that. All they did. All they did was during a Christmas party, yell out that the place was on fire. Opera boss thugs stuck their heads in the door. One of them yelled and he screamed, there's a fire. A lady, she hollered, there's no such a thing. Keep on with your party. And then all of the people got trapped in a stairwell and in a crush. And, you know, 60-something children died and 13 adults. But when you put it um, like that, it's almost like you hate America. (laughs) Right. It's almost like I don't like the union because I had brought up that every year more people died in the mines than died in the entire Afghanistan war up to that point. You know, that like 3,300 people died It sounds like you don't like them, but you're just telling it it like like it is. I'm just telling it like it is. But the thing is, is, the whole reason why I'm bringing all this stuff up is that when I'm relating this to people... It's like, I can, it's no point, it's no challenge telling you this fucking story. You like to hear the story. You're already on my side. Mm. But I do get a lot of people, I used to, I don't work at the place anymore. I used to get a lot of people who would come in there and bitch about the fact that so many Muslims would show up. And I would have to, you would have to find a way to be like, Actually, I find that to be cool that we have so many different demographics mm-hmm. walking around here all together at the same time. You will get somebody that might have a Confederate flag thing, mm-hmm. and the Confederate flag thing, or a proud redneck or whatever, the way that you get to them to make them start thinking about commie liberal shit is by telling them a story about West Virginia, mm-hmm. about the Blair Mountain and things like that. So I feel like that's what John Sales is doing on this movie. He doesn't mm-hmm. go as hard as he could, but he definitely calls attention to it. But he's trying to talk to those people. Definitely. Specifically. And, and I appreciate that because I didn't say this. We talk about pacifism. This is a war movie that's not a war movie. It's a complex movie. Um, the folk music component is superb, and we're going to touch on that quite a bit. Um, the union angle is complex. It is complex. It's like this is a pro-union movie, and Keenahan, I think, comes off as a very, very like gleaming character. But the union politics themselves are very messy and absolutely owns the fact that white supremacists are going to be given a, a seat and, and are, in fact, in the driver's seat. And that part of the way we have to navigate that space 
is just by looking at common cause and things. And the moment where James Earl Jones says he doesn't mind being called the N-word but has never been called a scab is so complicated. And the reaction to that moment is very complicated because on the one hand, it fits with this kind of apologetic that maybe we should just get over it or that that word is just a word and it doesn't have power. Um, well, he followed, I was wondering about that line too because it's always stuck in my head, but mm-hmm. then he, I, what, I, what I forgot and then I wrote down right. here is that he follows it up with because I can't help how right. white people are. Right. <laughs> he says that white people are going to do what they're going to do. There's nothing I could do about that, but I can persuade you that I'm not a scab. It's a complex line. He's got the moment later, too, where he's like, you know how white people get when they get all crazy. Yeah, when they get like, riled up. I'm yeah. like, this is, that's when the shooting happens. <laughs> anyway, it... It's, it's a complex movie that confronts those realities very directly and very explicitly. And so when I say I think it's soft on whiteness, I don't want to, you know gloss over those moments because oh, no. you're right no but it's punches, like but yeah it's you don't want to you don't want to push them away you right. want to bring them in yeah and i mean it's that's that's a it's an interesting way of looking at it as far as a tactic is concerned but that's how the union did it and this movie owns that <laughs> that's what folk music is about you know um mm-hmm. it's to it's very extent. challenging i think that's mm-hmm. you know i i feel like andy from Attenshe that we interviewed talks about this in some of his videos as well, where it's like kind of that, that thing where, you know, what do you tell, what do you don't tell? But at the same time, you want to inspire people. If it's something that you believe in, you want to inspire somebody to be like, wow, that's really interesting. I want to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things before also we jump into this is that this is a movie that makes me feel, um, the same thing I felt when I was watching the Harriet Tubman movie, except I do love this movie and the Harriet Tubman movie wasn't that good. Mm. But when I was thinking that the Harriet Tubman movie wasn't that good, I was thinking my thought shouldn't be that this wasn't that good. My thought should have been, Oh, this is one of the lesser Harriet Tubman movies. Mm. Why aren't there more movies like this one? You know, like why aren't there, we don't have a movie about the actual aftermath of this where like, we don't see Sid Hatfield gunned down on the stairs of the of the courthouse, and we don't see like the Battle of Blair Mountain where they're actually like fucking flying airplanes over and dropping bombs on yeah. the miners. Yeah, it, it's interesting. And that, that would be wild. It's interesting that this is how it shows us the war. It shows us the war as kind of a semi pointless shootout. A town defends itself at the end and kicks out Bad Bart um, with the help of the sheriff. You get it? Like that's how it ends, and it doesn't give us the big war imaginary. Um, and I kind of dig that about it. Um, it mm-hmm. would be interesting to imagine that movie from this kind of perspective. What I, I right. want to throw this in here, if I have a quick second. There were two articles that yeah. I found. One of them comes from Charles Zappia, um, Journal of American Ethnic History. 2011 is the year that that came out. And um, the article is oh, Labor, Race, and Ethnicity in the West Virginia Mines, Meituan. And it talks very much about what we're saying about giving different perspectives a seat at the table for the sake of animating, dramatizing that conversation for students to confront it and also to potentially see themselves in the movie in terms of sitting with people, talking with people, organizing with people. Um, your point on the movie that would be interesting to see, um, I want to touch on Kristen Hilton, Halton. I'm going to say that wrong. Uh, she's got an interesting paper, The Role of Women Within the Minds. She's an undergrad at West Virginia University, but writing for their research repository there. And the title to me was interesting enough that I wanted to read it. And it's great. It talks about how integral women were in the camps, how obviously difficult, tortured, antagonized they were, um, how frankly dramatic their stories are. And I think that this movie gives us some interesting and complex you know, um, uh, um, portrayals. Um, 
um, that we do not see in any of the other movies that we have talked about for the most part, with a few exceptions, right? But I was reading this paper and I'm like, that would be amazing. And I was listening to our episode on the bridge, which came out today, talking about how it shows the war off camera and how it opens on a village with no men or boys. And that's kind of what's going on in a coal town too, because mm-hmm. they're all off underground. You in know. this movie, every time the men are gone, it's a bad omen. It's amazing. Every, the whenever the, they're like, there. the men are gone and it's like, oh shit, something mm-hmm. bad is going to fucking happen. Yeah. And she talks about how she interviewed numerous women that were alive at the time and they obviously had mixed responses in terms of what it was like and some of them frankly said that they loved that time in those camps and she's speaking very specifically about the Meituan village uh, township and all of these other places in this paper. Um, and other women are talking about how they were never allowed to use the streets by the men with guns and how they always had to walk in the mud and how they always had to walk in the creek and when they walked in the creek they weren't allowed to lift their skirts and the men would point the guns at them while they crossed the creek and um you know that doesn't sound like that big of a deal until you're standing there in that frigid water and a man has a gun on you and um like it you know it's one of those moments where i'm sitting there watching this movie and they're talking about how like the collective fund gets parceled out and i'm like not exactly captivating filmmaking right here this isn't the end of glory you get it i'm like if we can make something like that interesting and i think they accomplished that chris cooper's captivating it's a fascinating way to see how those resources work if we can do that we can tell this story. You get it? And I think that would be so interesting to see a story from a, a similar perspective where all of the men are just off screen and that's the story of the war and they're just gone. And the question is, how did things continue to operate? And here's your answer. I don't know. It would be amazing. Either way, I agree with your, your point, which is like, there's so many different versions of these stories that can be told. Sales is a approach to filmmaking. Again, I'm going to say it feels like a play. It kind of feels like I'm watching mm-hmm. a stage play when they're all coming down out of the mountain. They're at the beginning and we see Birdie on the porch coming out. It's like you get a little casting call of, of the village coming alive. Uh, and and mm-hmm. there's like a song playing. <laughs> like, Holy shit. Could you imagine <laughs> a folk musical right? about this? <laughs> Like, the how fucking rad would that be? Yeah, you if, could totally stage sh- this. You oh could totally God. stage Meituan, and the music is right there for you. Can we just listen mm-hmm. to a little Hazel Dickens? Here it is. Well, Daddy died a minor, Grandpa, he did too. I'll bet this coal will kill me for my working days is through. In a hole that's dark and dirty, an early grave can find. I plan to make a union for the ones I leave behind. Stand up, boys, let the bosses know. Turn your buckets over, turn your lanterns old. Far in her hearts and far in her soul. But there ain't gonna be no far in the hole. There ain't gonna be no far in the hole. Mm, that makes me want to move. That makes me want to go and join the union. And oh, there ain't gonna be no fire in the hole. I love oh. that. <laughs> God, I'm gonna go fire up fucking Red Dead and gun down some Pinkertons oh right my. now. Yeah, when those hill people came out of the woods to save the day at the end, I was like, oh, I'd be murdering all those people in Red Dead Redemption. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Some pacifist, right? <laughs> oh, so speaking of Hazel Dickens, yeah. let's get into it. This is Mate One, 1987 by John Sales. I'm putting it out in the ether. I want to interview John Sales, Badly. if only to, if only just to, to go goo goo gaga at his fucking, I'm just, He's just made some movies I fucking love. Both to gush and also to ask very important questions. And I have very so fascinating much questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It won't be so much of the Chris Farley, like SNL interviewer. Remember when 
that was awesome part of it will be because i'll be like totally y'all are filmmakers and i'm the crit over here like this is what you've done and that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) um so we get the mgm lion um and then we see a miner and his lamp and we hear coughing wheezing and sniffling in a coal seam where a guy is crawling so that he can drill a hole to stick dynamite in it. And a single drip. Just a single drip. It's just this lone drip. And I found myself... It's a gross, wet place. And also, um, that's horrifying. If you think about where you are, these coal mines go deep. And if you're claustrophobic, don't want to be down there. You're going down underground on a cable hung from a little rickety platform. It is 1900 and teens, and um, you've just got your little lamp, and you're going to go down there and dig, and all sorts of things just get you horribly killed down there, and one of them is floods, and they can happen very quickly. Very large underwater reservoirs exist, and um, yeah, you just punch a little hole into that, and the most massive stuff on Earth called water is going to come right down on top of you, and that is that. And this movie... If you know what's going on, scares the shit out of you in the very beginning. Or you're nothing, just like, nothing at all. Caves in. Yeah. Caves in and you're just stuck on one side of that thing mm-hmm. and you're just mm-hmm. thousands of feet underneath the mm-hmm. earth, stuck yeah. on your hands and knees and then your lamp goes out. Or if your lamp is still burning, it's burning up your oxygen. Yeah. And as far as oh, the bosses are concerned, all they got to do is run an ad for more workers and that train is going to come full of people mm-hmm. and they're just going to keep right on digging. Just throw some Italians down there. <laughs> so... In like, wow, this movie comes with a lot. And again, you see this person digging. He's putting um, a charge in the hole. Uh, he, he, he shouts, shooting coal, shooting, shooting coal. coal, shooting coal, shooting coal, shooting coal. We get little Danny coming down saying it's 90s. It dropped to 90. Brought cents it down to 90 cents a ton. Danny, what in God's name are you doing? I got a shot set up back there. <sighs> Word come down from Turley. Tony Drake. They brung it down to 90 cent a ton. He says, take it or leave it. And he's like, Jesus what Christ. are we going to do? And the fuse goes. Sales what could is it mean? again hammy. He's a little <laughs> hammy. When I saw that, I'm like, that feels like John Sales. <laughs> Definitely. The fuse coming and then it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love something where you could turn yeah, the sound yeah. off and he's like, I get well, it. And I, I can kind of like story-wise, I like visually, right? I can You don't I can get, get it. I, I didn't catch this right away, but the person that we meet, uh, Danny coming down, little, little uh um, you know, bright-eyed Danny. Word come down from Turley is mm-hmm. um, the narrator. It were in 1920 in the southwest field, and things was tough. Uh, he's basically this old voice. I just mm-hmm. watched um, a river runs through it because we talked about it. We got saving yeah, Private Ryan too, here. Yeah, where one of these characters is going to survive, and they're the form of a grizzled voice. But what you see in the movie is this bright-eyed boy. So, yeah. They're working hard in dangerous places, not getting paid enough, and the fuse has been lit. Charles, that's what we've established here. (laughs) 
I was going to say Bob Gunton, though, to me. He, he, so there's three bad guys, Hickey, Griggs, and Lively. And From Lively Glory. is the Judas. And yeah, Bob Gunton is definitely in Glory. He is not very likable in that movie. Uh, and he is the warden in Shawshank Redemption. Ew, boo. <laughs> not like a ball in that movie is he ever playing like i would love to see a movie where he's like the, I the lovable i don't think it's happening sex right? interest like the, the, what, is, what do they say the who's the guy that plays ant-man rudd mm-hmm. yeah paul, paul rudd, rudd? Mm-hmm. yeah yeah paul, paul rudd and bob gunton's venn diagrams are just two totally discrete circles <laughs> like, <they do> not <laughs> intersect at all because one of them is likable the other one isn't and i think like i was gonna say he's the worst hickey and griggs are like your stereotypical i said if these two could be twirling each other's mustaches the whole movie they would be they're just ugh, lecherous and- conjoined by the mustache yeah <laughs> yeah right um but gunton's the one we hate the most and I can't put a finger on why he's awful. <laughs> anyway, we're not to lively yet. We're coming out of the mine and hearing the, the voiceover telling us what's going on. Mm-hmm. Those, those are the hand loading days and people mm-hmm. in Matewan weren't the ones you wanted to cross. Um, I love this line. Them was hand loading days. They paid you by the ton. Hand loading days. They paid you by the ton. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And then they would short ton you. Yeah, you know that song. You load 16 tons. What do you get? <laughs> Another day older and deeper in debt. Another day older, deeper in debt, and podcasts. All of these things. <laughs> um, we done it, mama. We're going to have the union. I wrote, this boy's going to die. And he doesn't. <laughs> I thought for sure he was going to die. As soon as I heard that line, I'm like, you're a dead man, Billy. Um, we get chris cooper he's sitting in a train and um and behind him chris cooper Mm -hmm. i know very handsome two racist Mm -hmm. dudes talk about how um how they keep bringing in uh train loads of italians um Mm -hmm. to work the mines and like i wouldn't want to go down there (laughs) yeah we read an article referencing readers concept white scapegoating we talked about that in our second episode on glory and you see a lot of that in this movie bradley cooper is not anti-racist at all, but he's definitively not racist. Well, maybe Bradley Cooper is anti-racist. I hope so. Sorry. I'm going to make that mistake again, but it, yeah, right. Chris Cooper's character, um, Keenahan, is not anti-racist, but he is not racist, and he's positioned outside of it. He overhears the conversations or shouts down the conversations, and that happens immediately. Yeah. He also um he also doesn't want to get killed quite yet before he can get to a uh, union meeting. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm saying? We don't know what his politics are, but what we <laughs> is he doesn't say anything <laughs> but, about that. But I think we as uh <laughs> we as the um as the viewer should understand that if the mine shaft is going to stink like anything, it's going to be delicious Italian food. Like a mom I used to make. <laughs> um oh my god. D- yeah, you just go down and it smells like... <laughs> the train that. stops short of Mate One, and out of the the cattle cars, they start unloading African-Americans, and um, and it's um, it's a loaded image, and this is true stuff, and then, the, uh, and then out of the trees come a bunch of the miners, and they start fighting the, uh, the scabs that have been... They've been brought in specifically to incite this kind of violence. This is a thing that's done over and over and over again, and a constant strategy of anti-union um, corporations and detective agencies and rich people who don't want to um, have you get 
uh, paid a fair wage. So they try to stoke this violence, this racial violence that they know is going to happen. That's why they bring in Italians, because at that time in the American history, Italians were looked down upon. Same thing with Irish people as that was done back in the day as well. And African-Americans is an easy one. Henry Ford also did this back in the 40s when the uh, UAW was striking. Um, This is a constant tactic. And sadly, it would still work today because people are dumb as fuck. You are dependent upon de- desperation because that has been systemically afforded to you by uh, the systems of poverty that all of these people are straddled by. Um, when you draw from these different groups, you absolutely are amplifying your efforts, as Charles is saying, by this xenophobia. But you are also, at the very same time, limiting their abilities to organize because they just cannot cross-communicate. And we see that in this movie when they're trying to speak to the Italians. Um, it's like the union syndicato. Is that the same thing? I don't know, but let's hope so. And if you're trying to organize, that's going to create a real barrier. So the tensions are very high. We are ready to hate each other. The ability to communicate is very low and desperation is insured. It is insured. So even if the corporation is not sitting around a table rubbing their hands together saying, ha ha ha, let's make them fight. That is effectively what they are doing when they open those train cars and just introduce these populations by design. Yeah. And they get exactly what they want. We still do it today when people are talking about about migrants coming in and stealing your jobs and stuff like that. If you just demanded mm-hmm. that they get mm-hmm. paid the same wage as you and that the and that mm-hmm. if if we if it was illegal to hire non-citizens in the United States and you actually punished the people that did the hiring. I bet that would change. Yeah. You see that in this movie when they throw their shovels down in front of a mounted machine gun and say, I think this belongs to you. It's like, well, I guess we got to get some different people off the train. (laughs) Anyway, we're not there yet. But this this movie starts by rendering that exact explicit clash. And again, Bradley Cooper is situated on the outside of it. He's a fairly pristine character. As a person, I assume. But Chris Cooper's character as well. Very interesting. Just going to totally botch But I hope that Bradley episode. Cooper is kind of like a Jokina hand. I don't know if he is. When we do the stage play, we're gonna, that's who we're going to Does gonna he sing? No oh. at all. Anyway, just so oh. I can be right. God, can you imagine if he could play the banjo? That'd be fucking great. Yeah, yeah, right? Get him. Can he? I don't know. Maybe he would learn it for it. God. Could you imagine a super leftist folk Hamilton about the frickin' mine wars? Please mm-hmm. make it happen. Well, I'm not smart enough. I'm just sitting here waiting for the Pete Seeger biopic, and so far, I'm still waiting. <laughs> we don't have a Mother Jones. This is the problem with it. We don't have a Mother Jones right. movie. You know, like... It's weird. And I bet you if we made it, it would not make $100 million on No, it'd make as much movie as money as this one, where I owe people money. That's like tens of thousands of dollars, and you paid $3 million to make this movie. (laughs) Congratulations. It's part of the Criterion collection. (laughs) Um, I noticed that the the black workers, um, they actually do pretty good. They pretty much beat the shit out of the white guys. They just get back on the train because obviously they're not wanted there. Chris Cooper says... um, says where's mate one or something like that and the guy goes the uh the guys uh who works on the train over in the um in the caboose says you don't want to go there mister ain't nothing but crazy people correct 
Yeah, we get a, a couple read-ins. They call it Bloody Mingo in those days. You don't want to go there. It's full of crazy people. Uh, yeah, they're promising something yeah. <laughs> with this town. Over at the um, at the train station, we get to see Bridie Mae Tolliver. She's all dressed up. Hi. And um, and I wrote my kryptonite. This is um, yeah. this is just when characters like this show up in movies and television. I just can't help it. I just fall in love with them. I want. I'm ready to move. What? I, I'm a fucking dumb shit. I just want to move immediately to Mingo and be like, "All right, I'll live in this cabin with you, Bridie May." It's it's like it's the same. I think it's the the born yesterday hot thing that um, mm-hmm. that Fifth Element has. I think that's what it mm-hmm. what it's activating in my stupid ass brain is that I'm just. It's. I think that's what the 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 problematic <laughs> shit that's happening when I see Bridie May. Well, again, it's it's sales speaking very directly to the consequences of the activity in these mines. Um, her husband died in the mine, and now she's basically looking for another husband. Um, and this is what she's doing is just meeting people off the train and hoping someone like Charles gets <laughs> off. And, and then, you know, he's going to go into the mine, and hopefully it works out a little yeah. better for him than it did yeah, for I'm her just last coll- Yeah, I'm collecting UBI because I got hurt in the war. <laughs> right right so you two would make a pretty We'd make a couple. great team um, yeah she's We're just feeding chickens she's all day an long. interesting character she's kind of a patsy right like mm-hmm. she's she's pretty dense she gets called trash she gets played by the judas character mm-hmm. i'm trying to think of her kind of redemption here she, I get, think she when, leaves town she sadly doesn't get a redemption poor bridie may right right when we think of elma she ends up buckshotting the bad guy. She gets the redemption for Bridie May. There you go. Okay. Anyway, Main Street of mm-hmm. Town is a railroad track. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a company town. Um, eleven twenty-five to about twelve thirty. This is an edit um, drop here. Mm-hmm. This is the African American workers um, getting the rundown of um, of how script works and everything like that. Picks and shovels are to be considered a loan from the Stone Mountain Coal Company. Their costs will be deducted from your first month's pay. Tool sharpening provided by the company is 25 cents a month. Use of the wash house is 75 cents a month. Medical doctor provided by the company is $2 a month. Special procedures extra. Your train ride here provided by the company will be deducted from your first month's pay. Your pay will be issued as company script, redeemable for all goods and services at the Stone Mountain Company Store. Purchases of any items available at the company store from outside merchants will result in firing without pay. It's totally worth the drop and also worth just emphasizing. Picks and shovels are on loan. Cost deducted from your pay. Tool sharpening deducted. A wash house deducted. Medical doctor deducted. Train ride here deducted. Powder, fuses, lamps, headgear, all deducted. We won't deduct all these things from your pay. It's like, it makes me think of the Hudsucker Proxy. Did you ever see mm-hmm. that movie where they have a moment of silence for the CEO that died? To mark this occasion of corporate loss, we ask that all employees observe a moment of silent contemplation. And then they say that they will observe that in your paycheck. Thank you for your kind attention. This moment has been duly noted on your time cards and will be deducted from your pay. That is all. It's like, son of a <laughs> bitch. Like, 
<laughs> and this is real stuff. The machine cares not as long as the gears turn and the grease between the wheels is frequently the parts of the people fed to the machine to turn those gears. This is real stuff. This is what happens on yes, a company town. And because we don't have a shitload of fucking movies like this, nobody learns this stuff. So you get dipshits on Twitter and stuff being like, how come Amazon can't have its own company town? Why don't they do that? They just have a, and it's like, because we learned about this. We learned about what happens Saint when this Peter, stuff happens. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. God. I owe my soul to the company store. This is. <laughs> That's why. That they wrote a whole song. Imagine about I deliver mail. Imagine if I had to rent out the truck that I drive by the hour. Good God. <laughs> Your tire that just exploded on the freeway, dead, dead, dead. The gas you use, that comes out of your paycheck. What? <laughs> and the cost just went up. And you know who owns that gas company? The same people that own the post office. They're just recouping <laughs> their operating costs from your own paycheck. It's in. Yeah, and if you don't like this job, you can quit because there's literally a million people that need it, and that's also along true. the same lines as the as the script in the company store. Um, when people, when you're checking out and they say, "Do you want to donate?" Don't donate. Donate on your fucking own. <laughs> right. Don't ever because they're yeah. using your donation and they deduction. are claiming that on their taxes. You're just giving them a tax deduction. That's all that is. They don't give a shit about and, what they're donating and, to. Then they're running commercials that they also claim on their taxes where they tell you how charitable they are based on the size of the donation that they made, which literally came out of your pocket. Yeah. And it costs and the donation was less than the cost of the commercial. <laughs> We're in the weeds, but it's all the same. It's weird how it's all the same. If you like this movie, you're going to eventually go to a mining museum. And guess who put up that mining museum? I tell you what, it's not the Joe Kinahans. It's the mining company. And they're they talked about Butte, Montana in this movie, and it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Someone hanging from a railroad trestle, I think, is one of them. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened there in Butte, Montana. The old Anaconda Copper Company. We meet Edna <laughs> Rad Radner. She um she runs the she runs the um boarding house that is um that is in town. There's also a hotel. Sadly, I never got to see the hotel. I was kind of hoping I'd get to see that building. Because this movie yeah. also is eye candy for uh, for people that like small towns. Um, yep. It's a treat. If you like these period piece movies, it's just exceptional. It makes me think of growing up in Montana a lot. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, you know, this character to me is really great. Like Elma is, um, she's, it's, it's, I noticed at the beginning when she's introduced to Chris Cooper's character that, um, She's up on the porch and he's down below. She's asking a question and he's got to answer it. She's holding absolutely all the cards. She's like, like you're bullshitting to me. Like if you don't work for the company, you don't have a job here and I don't want to rent to you double now. Like what is going on with you? She's in the driver's seat for a lot of this movie. She does a lot of interesting things and the ways that she confronts power are spread throughout and pretty explicit like it's it's cool I, I and again this is what kind of really latched me onto that paper that i mentioned at the top like i would want to see more of that like a whole movie where all of the characters are given that kind of depth would be interesting uh -huh. like bridie may has a fascinating story you get it and and there could be more there i got a book somewhere around here i just recently picked it up and it's about um 
women in the like IWW in the Pacific Northwest doing organizing there. And I had listened to a podcast. I had gotten turned on to the book because of a podcast. And the person that wrote the book just said that it's like so fucking hard doing the research on a lot of these people because because nobody proliferates their their histories. So it's like mm-hmm. once the strike kind of like the news of the strike wears off, they just disappear into the diaspora. And particularly mm-hmm. much harder, even more so with women. I mean, just because of the stories that we that we pass on. Um, but Kristen Hilton's paper says exactly that she had the same trouble finding it. Yep. Yep. And that's part of why she did her work like as an undergrad, which is great. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's a bummer. We should get more movies. There's fucking, there's cool union ladies out there. I mean, the mother Jones movie, let's get an Elizabeth Gurley Flynn movie. Let's get a fucking crazy ass movie with, uh, with Lucy Parsons because she was a firecracker. I want to fuck it. Let's, let's see it. I mean, it should be to the point where we're watching a movie where it's like, oh, Lucy Parsons, Vampire Hunter now. You know, it's like where they're like deconstructing it. <laughs> Sadly, that will probably be the first one that we exactly. Because, no, uh, totally. Disney is mining all the although it would be hilarious pick that up with AI <laughs> if she's fighting capitalists and they make them literal vampires as like a metaphor. That would be like kind of funny. oh my god, Holy Charles, shit. you are sitting on a gold mine right now. Somebody <laughs> out there, take some notes, make a million dollar movie, and give Charles the residuals <laughs> to which I will lay some claim because I am co-hosting right now, and that's all I can say for my contribution <laughs> to this moment. But um, Joe Keenan, that's a great um, idea. Um, he, can I say one more thing oh about yeah, the scene? Though, as much as I really, really like her character, um, uh, Keenahan kind of explains the fight to her when that dude comes up all bloodied on the nose. Like he, he like kind of explains it away, and she's like, "Oh, I know." And that that made me sad. His character is a bit of a patriarch. If was he, he doing that preachy, for her, or was he doing it for the for the kid? He was telling her. He was literally saying Which line? It to her it about was, the about the it, about stopping up the bleeding like, in the nose. Or? They can't. It was no, no, no. That was to him. Oh. That was to him. Where it's like you got to do this, and this is how you stop the bleeding. To her, it was right after that. It was this line. They can't help it. They get all this happening. Seems to be all the men around here care about wives and kids are starving as long as they get their uh, legs in. It's just frustration is all, and you can't take care of them you care about. I know, dude. You just got off the train. Mm. You literally just got off the train, and I'm sure that you've got all this union experience, and you know why people are coming out with bloody noses. But like, you just got off the train, (laughs) and you probably shouldn't be telling her why this boy got in a fight. And I don't like that the movie has her being like, "Oh, I know, I know. You're right. I know." I was a little bummed by that. He said, "Uh, the kid says I got my licks in. (coughs) I got my licks in." (laughs) You say what? She says, seems all some of these men care about getting their licks in. Good line. Right. Yeah. And, and that's then what he, he turns right, around and then he says, says yeah. I feel like he was saying it almost more to, like, he's walking this tightrope and, like, in front of the kid who got the bloody nose being like, I get it. You're wound up. But, like, the whole time right. I feel like he's, it's interesting. Hmm. 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 In any case, um child soldiers i'm almost 15 yep jesus fucking christ and kanahan defends it or kanahan is like everyone's got to do their part i mean if you're working (laughs) it's like when they say it's like hey look we're we want people to work the mcdonald's we're hiring 14 year olds well guess what that 14 year old deserves the fucking same wage as the other person that you're trying to avoid hiring it doesn't matter and it's one it's one thing to recruit them for a strike or a walkout another thing to recruit them to like blow stuff up and be in the seam and being a mucker prior yeah 
but yeah, yeah, yeah. We see the latter. Yeah, it, that yeah. It's the song. The song says uh, that the coal's going to kill you eventually. So it's like, are you going to die getting paid? I guess, or are you just going to be so much fucking grease for their wheel? I don't know. Well, what I really kind of love about that line is that it's like, Daddy died a minor and Grandpa heated too. I bet this coal will kill me before my working day is through. When a hole is dark and dirty, an early grave you'll find. I plan to make a union for the ones I leave behind. The line is about continuing to show solidarity mm-hmm. with that union. It doesn't say, I plan to like blow up the train station mm-hmm. or murder the, you get it? Mm-hmm. Like, And when people yeah. are, are say. Well, you're never going to change it. It's like, it's is for what comes down the line. I might not mm-hmm. experience the union, but this is for the other mm-hmm. people because I don't want my fucking kids to go through this. And that's how pacifism works. Like Chenoweth and Stefan's book, Why Civil Resistance Works, is compelling to prove, number one, that it does really well. And number two, why it does. And one of the findings in that book is not only that it makes change, but that change lasts longer because it was built upon legitimate means like cooperation from the community to show solidarity for things like better pay and decent living conditions and not getting your feet chopped off at work as part of a cost of doing business sounds like commie shit to me it is it's red noise oh no beelzebub (laughs) (laughs) he's found his way into our podcast studio (laughs) um cephas shows up and he needs to uh see the new guy and um and elma is like oh great i knew it i effing knew it she doesn't say it but you can see it on her face um um the a big old, a big old gorilla answers the door through a sliding um a sliding thing. What's the password? <laughs> Joe Hill sent me. I wrote uh wobblies know their legends like the Marines. Exactly right. I was gonna say the same thing. I was like, is this our um boot camp moment? Is this right, this our, is this is right it? right like, before I get IWW branded onto my leg and I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. I guess you just have to trust me. Who wrote the Iron Heel? Jack London. Where's Joe Hill buried at? All over the world. They scattered his ashes. Which eye is Big Bill Haywood missing? His right one. How'd Frank Little die? Butte, Montana. They hung him from a railroad trestle. Oh, you know your stuff. I was with the yeah, Wobblies. You gotta earn that, Charles. That's not <laughs> until he gets his head blown off at the end. But. <laughs> the preacher is preaching during a union meeting, so we get it intercut kind of between the two. We get my favorite drop of the movie, which is the guy saying, they're pushing us too far. They're just pushing us further than we can go. They're pushing us. Pushing us. They're pushing us. Pushing us too far. Pushing us. Pushing us too far. If someone says you're pushing me too far, I'm gonna. I kind of want to push them a little further to see if I can get away with it. You capitalist so, pig. <laughs> well, and we've talked about how accents let us dehumanize other people, and here I am doing it too. It's interesting, is that we we shit on the um, and this is a this is. This is something that people call folks out on uh, and other leftists out. It's what less leftists do is we like to infight a bunch and mm-hmm. um, and tone police each other. Um, but it's like, you know, you should be reaching out to other lower class people, the ones in West Virginia and stuff like that, because they have more in common with you than they do with Jeff Bezos. And it's just a matter. A lot of the time, I feel like people go to the opposite because Mm -hmm. they feel like 
you shit on them all the time. What we should be doing is telling Jeff Bezos that he's pushed us all a little too far. That he's pushed us all a little too far. Pushing us further than we can go. When people, coal miners and stuff like that are striking, we shouldn't be making fun of them getting pushed too far. And we should go up there and pick up fucking things because, yeah. My lesson has been learned. From now on, I will not make fun of anyone being pushed too far. I will simply agree that I too have been pushed too far. It's hard not to because accents are funny. I just, I, it just also reminds me of, I, I saw an interview with what's his name, the kid who plays, um, not the kid, he's an adult now, fucking um, Harry Potter. And he was talking mm. about how in England, like when he came to the United States, he, it's like, it was weird for him to hear us always making fun of Southern accents because in England to them, doing a Southern accent is fucking cool. It sounds rad to them. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, doing an American accent is probably like being a dummy. <laughs> right? I no, love totally. watching people from other countries imitate Americans because it's always something stupid. Oh, it's hi. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I watched one the other day where people were like, oh, it, it, it's like they say, like, oh, it means nothing. It's nothing. Oh, I don't care. It means nothing. And I'm like, damn, that's pretty funny because we got all that privilege in the world to not really care. Um, <laughs> anyways, yes. Now we get to the preacher and the preacher is saying Beelzebub's name is Bolshevist. <laughs> and I'm like, that's alliterative. So pretty yeah. persuasive. <laughs> Listen to me. The prince of darkness is upon the land. Now in the Bible, his name is Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Right now on earth today, his name is Bolshevist, Socialist, Communist, the moment he starts saying that because the the young kid is like on his side he's like he's like yeah the devil is among us that's right the prince of darkness is upon the land he's like he is socialist he is bolshevik and he's like immediately as the kids uh danny's face turns and yeah. um, and he knows that he's going to light him up on the. He's about to get kicked out and fired from his mm-hmm. uh, job as a uh, as a preacher. I feel it, man. Twenty fifteen. Yeah, oh, sorry, no, go picks on. Picks a debate. I was just going to say, picks a debate with scripture, and Danny comes up with cards. He's ready to read right back into this. He's like, "All right, you got your sermon. Well, here comes mine. <laughs> they got a dollar a day, which was a living wage in biblical times, <laughs> right?" And you know what? It's like the preacher. The preacher is um, he's unfair with his thing because he gets everybody riled up and just repeating what he says. It's like being like USA, USA, and everybody's like USA, yeah. USA, and then he's like, "Kick out all the immigrants," and everybody's like, "Yeah, yeah." Wait, hold on, what? But no, everybody just kind of goes on. So he's like, yeah, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Anyway, socialists, communists, Bolsheviks, all evil. And everybody's like, yeah, still kind of going on with it, but like still absorbing it. And it's like, man, that ain't fair. Okay. Well, from the Baptists to the Mennonites, we got all sorts of lenses on religion Mm -hmm. in this movie. Pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. That's why that explains why I wrote hard shell and soft shell over here. Yeah, I was right. like, were they eating lobster? What is going on here? Just tacos? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, this dude's in the back eating a hard shell tacos, and Charles is like, "You should eat a soft shell taco." Do a soft taco because they're complaining about how it's how it didn't stay crunchy throughout 2015. This is an editing note. This is the union meeting, mm-hmm. um, and this is uh, where we'll get C.E. Lively uh, inciting violence. I've been a union man my whole life. 
I know the story with these coal operators and their gun thugs. The only thing they understand is the bad end of a bullet. And then also, this should probably be where we get the um, the line with um, saying a union, it's a club. Yeah, I think this is where we get the the spark in coal gas, the tiniest spark at the wrong time, and everything goes wrong, and we got to work together, build support, and organize. Yeah, and it's basically that moment we talked about at the top. So C.E. Lively, he's a real person. Um, mm. and he is a, he is a famous villain from this. So certain people are made up. I think, I think Keenahan is made up. Um, um, James Earl Jones's character is based on a real person that may have existed, mm. but kind of mm-hmm. that they, they know that was there, I believe, but we don't know what his role is sadly. And that's kind of like a bummer because I would love to hear more stories about Mm-hmm. Black involvement in the IWW and stuff. And there's kind of only not a lot of stuff out currently. Research ongoing. Right. Right. Um, but filmmaking see, ongoing. <laughs> I know. And sadly, you know, these movies don't make a lot of freaking money. People don't want to watch a union movie where the lesson is to not not kill anybody. You kind of have to be willing to spend a bunch of money and to just make a point. That's <laughs> how that works. <laughs> just sending it out there which i guess is art but since filmmaking is so effing expensive yep um but yeah ce lively the entire time he's trying to get people specifically to destroy property if we show them we just as soon blow up their damn minds and seen them work by a bunch of scabs but then they gonna listen um and incite violence so that the national guard or whoever can come in and suppress the workers because that works every fucking time. Just a well-studied old tactic. Mm-hmm. And one that pacifists, if you've been trained in pacifism, are absolutely prepared for. You are trained to encircle and point and shame these bastards when they show up to our meetings. Because they will. And they will often be in positions of leadership. And they're on the pay. <laughs> yep. They are Pinkertons. Or Baldwin Feltz yeah. agents. They are on the payroll. And well, and yeah, no, go one on. of the things that Gene Sharp says that I think is really smart is like, if you're going to pick a fight, you got to be willing to win a fight. You don't have to be a lovey dovey to be a pacifist. Just be practical. If you're going to do a thing called a war, maybe you shouldn't pick the United States as the person you're fighting against because they're pretty good at the war thing. They've got that down solid. If you want to beat them, you have to beat them with nonviolence because they can't speak that language. And what they will do the whole time is invite you to war because that's what they want you to do. They're not afraid of you and your guns. They're literally selling you guns. They are selling Selling you guns so you will pick that thing up so that you can speak the language that they understand and they can win. And if you just don't pick the thing up, you take all of that away from them. Your hands in your pockets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put the guns down. So, yeah, they say uh, same dollar for the same work. Well, yeah, that's the uh, that's the preacher talking right there. Um, Jesus never heard of the union. Um, they say, yeah, mm. just waiting for an excuse to crush us into nothing. All the dagos, all the colored, that's what a union mm. is, fellas. Yeah, that's what it is. It's interesting it's going back and forth between the church and the union meeting, right? It's like you've got both of these because, the you know, obviously the women and the family members that aren't in the union can't be at the union meeting and we have to have the same kinds of back and forth going down, I guess, in the community. And so we put that in the, the old bully pulpit there. Yeah. Yeah, I also wrote, oh, mandolins, let us know it's Italians. 
<laughs> must be Italians. The sound of mandolins. <laughs> and again, we have Keenahan's character coming up and and playing real nice with the Italians, like talking them down. The other person there is the one that says they're dying like flies in the mine. He compares them to flies. The old Cephas um, there, Ke- yeah. Yeah, but Keenahan is going to be the good white. This is the white scapegoating moment and kind oh. of the patriarchy moment. It's his the this is the challenge of organizing. The Wobblies, um, Wobblies have known this stuff since 1903 or so, or 1905, 1903, I think. Um, and they, um, and Keenahan is uh, as they they imply that he was in um, that he was in Leavenworth, so it implies that he was also like mopped up in the Palmer raids um, where yeah. they got a bunch of those guys who were, who were trying to organize against the war. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they spent like, there's didn't a, he say that he spent two years in Leavenworth and that time spent in prison was better spent than the time. And I'm like, that is so, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Cause I, I, I said that at the end of, um, again, at the end of the bridge, when we're talking about the dude, Hey, Hey, stop. Hey, stop shooting. Come on. Like if you don't want to shoot the child soldier, you can't be a soldier. You got to go to prison. That's what you got to do. You got to like put your gun down and face that court martial like a man. <laughs> uh, we see Sid Hatfield here. Um, oh yeah, we also get to uh, everybody starts kind of like playing the music in the distance with each other. Like we have mm-hmm. like a guy with a fiddle and a guitar, and they're like listening to the music in the distance, trying to follow it. Driving me crazy. Now what's he playing? Now who's that? And then we get like a black guy with a blues harp or a harmonica or something, and he's like kind of riffing along, and it's pretty good. Um, it is a moment picked up across the articles as far as like really trying to demonstrate something that absolutely happened. I love that it situates it on the vocabulary of music. It's mm-hmm. so great. I love it. And we talk about folk music and how folk music is supposed to be invitational. There's a show offiness to folk for sure, but the songs themselves are going to be a G, a C, and a D. <laughs> you get it? It's like they're going to have very basic components to it to invite other people to pick them up and to, and to carry them on. And um, we said Glory was like an important movie, like a TV on the cart kind of movie. This movie isn't that because I don't know that you're watching it a lot in high school. But if you're ever taking any classes about labor relations, the odds of you watching this movie are pretty high from what I'm reading. There's like a lot of people that will show this in like maybe a college class or something like that to try to tell this story. And it, it's a good example of where filmmaking is short and sweet. It can't do all of the things unless it's like a documentary about music mm-hmm. and labor. Or yeah, or a miniseries or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. In this movie, it can be like, here's this little moment and it feels a little contrived, but it works great. Mm-hmm. I, no, I loved it. Yeah. It, it does feel like filmmaker stuff, but at the same time, you know, how do you get that point across without showing a shitload of meetings or something? Right. Yeah. Or just a, yeah. A bunch of stuff that's going to bore the fuck out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would rather just see a montage as musicians come together and the music comes together and gels and I would go, ah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're like hating on each other while it's happening. <laughs> the whole like, time, angrily scooting toward each other and trying to play over the top. 
all, all their own tune, so it's just a cacophony. Just a... <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly just sounds like insects in the woods, and there we have it. <laughs> um, this is where I wrote, does ACAB include Sid Hatfield? We'll wonder that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also where we see a note being written. Dear Mr. Feltz, Mr. Keenahan is a red. Send help. Um, the help mm-hmm. that we get, and this is... Uh, Hickey and Griggsy conjoined at the mustache, as we said, twirling it on the other end, and then their middle hands are holding guns um, pointed at you. Hickey, when he twirls his mustache and lets it go, Griggsy spins like a top on the other (laughs) end because all the tension just wound up. Man, they are just nefarious, aren't they? They're pieces of shit. And you know what makes them real bad is that they're real pieces of shit to my beloved Bridie Mae. (laughs) <laughs> it's so ridiculous how he talks sweeter and then just calls her trash like right to her face and in my notes i'm like so these are the baddies <laughs> <laughs> they make fun of her dead husband they call her the prettiest piece of mountain trash she's ever seen and then they go kick nice old joe keenahan out of the yeah the they don't he's staying at they don't effing stop yeah they um they show up at at Elma's house, um, they say that um, there's only one room available, and old Danny tries to say that, she'll tell it to him, they say, well, <laughs> I guess somebody else is going to have to leave, and they say, you can't do that, and they say, well, Stone Mountain owns the house, you don't own the house, so, mm-hmm. and we're sent here from Stone Mountain, so we can do whatever the fuck we want, and uh, yeah. Keenahan shows up, and he says, hey, I got business, I got to get the hell out of here, does them the favor, reads the room, uh, de-escalates the situation, <laughs> even if it means he's going to get cooties potentially at the hotel with yeah. uh, bad food and lumpy mattresses. Right, and cooties in the mattresses. He and Elma are having a conversation before this where he's trying to support the union, and she's saying she's had about all of the union she can handle because it took her husband. She doesn't want her son being in the union. And again, the movie wants us to be on his side. I am on his side. I do believe that there's power. There's power in the union and all that. But I don't like the way the scene is making him the person that has to like explain it to her. And again, I'm like, dude, you just got off the train. <laughs> like, maybe you shouldn't be. <laughs> he's been, f- he's been doing the union's work since uh, since before right. World War One. There, so yeah. <laughs> He's just, he's got to sell it to everybody. He's got to sell it to he's you He's like a one-track mind. No matter what you say, he's going to be like, yeah, but listen, it's all one big union, you so see? Literally, <laughs> all I do is talk about the union until I get beat up and kicked out of town. It's literally yeah. What my they don't life. tell you is that it wasn't one of the security guards that shot him. It was just somebody else being like, I said to shut him up about the fucking union. Uh, we get a lesson on how to die in the mines. Um, this is mm-hmm. by few clothes and then an Italian guy. And they just tap mm-hmm. on the ceiling there until part of it caves in. And it's like, Jesus Christ, what a way to make yeah. a living. Yeah. And, and there it is again. It's like, this is incredibly dangerous and incredibly scary. And this Italian person maybe speaks a little bit of English. And James Earl Jones is trying to show him what he knows. And they're just like, okay, hope we don't die today, both of us together down here. <laughs> yeah. What does it matter to the, to the people as long as they load up the coal that covered your body in the, uh, in the collapse? Mm-hmm. Don't give a shit. Right. And they'll evict your wife that night because she don't work for the mine and you're dead. Right. Yeah. Right. 
that's how it works that that, uh, building is owned by the mine as is the furniture in it and even the food you are eating one of the the testimonies from that article that i'm talking about talks about how she was making breakfast when they showed up and they did not let her finish making breakfast because the company owned the groceries that she had and they threw it on the ground and they did not eat for two days it's like holy shit did the article talk just imagine eggs in the dirt being like that is so horrible. <laughs> like, holy cow. Yeah, truly evil. Did they talk about Esau's script in there? I don't so know who that is. that's one of the the hideous things of uh of the West Virginia mine wars is that people would get into debt and they would be very, very, very much in debt and the guys would be working it off, but they can only work so much. They only make so much money in there. And so how is that debt paid back? is through the sexual slavery of the wives and daughters of the families um, in a thing that was called Esau script, E-S-A-U, based off of some Bible story. And when you read into that, it's like fucking horrible. It did not talk about that. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, that's, yeah, so have fun reading about that and then uh, and then revel in the last 15 minutes of the movie or whatever when fucking Hickey gets shot. Because fuck that guy. It's like but truly these people like, and that's the challenge, I think, of being the Joe Keenahan in this movie is that these people absolutely deserve to get a fucking bullet in the head. Definitely. They all deserve to fall oh, down yeah. a slip down a mine shaft and die forever. It's tempting. It's, it's incredibly so tempting. tempting. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the movie makes that, that case. They says, that, yeah, we get it. But once you do that, everything you worked for is going to be gone. It's interesting to note if the movie says that or not. I think it's up in the air at the end, but I do think it makes that argument a lot and it echoes it a lot. I thought it was because in my in my memory it was like it was like, oh yeah, they're gonna recruit him. But then at the end that the old man speaking says right. that it failed, you know? But it's like yeah. I wanna see He's the like, movie. We had a war. And we'll we talk about it more when we yeah, get there. We I want to there. talk about the ending a little bit more when we get there, but I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um so we do now this is where um uh, we get a bunch of minor groups in the mines discussing the pros and cons of joining the union. So we have the African Americans, mm-hmm. we have the Italian, now the Italian Americans, um, mm-hmm. uh, talking about what what's good or bad about it. Um, they all, all in their own little shaft, their own little hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they keep, and you got to keep them all separated and never talking about mm-hmm. their salaries together. Um, mm-hmm. That's what it's about. Baldwin yep. thugs are in town and they are evicting families. So we see yeah. a bunch of the thugs and they are throwing everybody's stuff out onto the front lawn, something that thankfully doesn't happen anymore because we respect people's ability to live in a house more so than making a family homeless. It really, really hit. It did. Cause like we are just coming out of a whole, like several months of evictions that were against the law for a while until they weren't. And you do, you go around town and you see all sorts of stuff piled up in the side of the road. If you live in a rental town like we do. And every time I see that pile, I think about it. And again, in this article, they talked about how they took all of their stuff and all the things that they owned and they threw it all out. And and a lot of it was stuff that they, even the eggs. Yeah. Right. Well, they, it talked about how in other instances, a lot of it was stuff they really cared about and that they really loved, but that they couldn't take with them because they didn't have any money. And so as far as they know, it's still in a pile behind the general store, they said. They just had to leave it. So even if they could have taken it and sold it and done something with it, they couldn't get it out of there. And so it's just turned into trash right away. They'd rather have it be trash. It's more important for you not to have it. Right. That's 
And that's the point. They show up and they're like, when you left, you took stuff that belongs to you and we are here to collect it. And Kinahan is like, do you have a list of the items? And they're like, that's not the point. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about collecting the items, is it? It's about making a statement. <laughs> um, what's his name? Um, Sid shows up. You need a writ for eviction. Mm-hmm. And um, and the guy's like, well, we've got these uh, these orders here from uh, from Mister Feltz, and they own the uh, the deed for the house. I met Mister Feltz. Oh, so we won't have a problem here. I wouldn't pee on him if his heart was on fire. Okay, so we are going to have a problem here. Chuckles. Yeah, right. yep. And and the movie likes Sid. Mm-hmm. This movie is going to say the sheriff is a leader in the town, and the sheriff is going to stand up for the town, and the the uh the what's the word I want? Ineffective politician is going to get gut shot trying to talk, and the pacifist is going to get headshot screaming no, running around the corner late to a gunfight. I feel like it's aware of the of the legends of the people that live mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it's like it's like there's a guy that is like the hated Judas when there's probably mm-hmm. I wonder if people back if, if if somebody I wonder if there's people that will be like UCE lively, you know, like if they will <laughs> I can't believe you betrayed me. Um right. you know, I wonder if it's a name that they that they conjure or something with that because I yeah. feel like Sid still lives in, in memory out there because I mean, it's, it's not wh- to say there weren't sheriffs that stood up for their town. I'm sure that there were right. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's happened. just like particularly Sid. I don't know about other people, but I think he's just like a particular weirdo, but then he gets gunned down on the front of a, you know, that would have been an mm-hmm. interesting other, other movie to see, you know, if it started off the trivia bits on IMDb says that the sheriff and the mayor got buried together next to each other in the cemetery. And at the end of the movie, I was like, Oh, that's sweet. They're both going to die together. Sid married mayor Testerman's widow. And then I feel like the guy that killed Sid married the widow. There is a weird article, like an old article that I found that's very weird. I tell you what, this is the the fun thing about this movie is that there's a lot of weird history that, that pops up when you start like peeling away the onion layers. If he married the widow, if if Sid the sheriff married the mayor's widow, then that makes the scene in the movie where he asks about his wife, which explicitly happens, like just layers of nares. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, because like, supposedly they were like high school sweethearts or something, and then when yeah. Sid went to World War One, perhaps the mayor married. They were, I think, they were like friends or something but it was they he married the yeah it's one of those things where it doesn't seem as bad when you start digging into it because I'm sure there's not. people like Brady Mays where movie a little dark <laughs> it's and it's like very it 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 affected me more now that I've read the history behind it I was like oh mm-hmm. seeing the image of Testerman dying there I just like I felt so bad for him um anyway we're not there yet but yeah it's funny when they're tossing the people out of the house though because hillard gets punched in the nose again and he's the dude that came out from the very first fight and he had his nose all bloodied (laughs) and keenahan was like helping him with his bloody nose and then when they're tossing the house he takes another one and i'm always very sensitive for people who've been punched in the nose that then get it again because it's tender man it hurts hurts. so bad (laughs) i'm like poor hillard his lot in this movie is just to get punched in the nose a bunch it's f- absolutely true. It hurts so bad. Even if you don't hit it hard that hard, it's just like, God. Yeah. And then do not touch it for the next like 24 hours. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like kissing on my dog and then my dog just hears a random noise and like moves its head and just whacks my nose. God damn it. Yeah, I've got to talk. Then I got to let it lick my blood up. And I'm like keeping my nose as far away from his head as I can because I know better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So he kicks you in the groin. Right. (laughs) (laughs) If the rest of the if the rest of the boys was here, you wouldn't be so cocky. Mm -hmm. If the rest of the boys was here, I'd give you five minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Keenahan says to Sid, I've never seen a lawman buck buck a company before. Right. Yeah, Sid takes a turn right there because he kind of threatens him when he shows up. One of the first things he says is, if you like mm-hmm. bug my people, I'm going to kill you get a good night's sleep. And then here is when he sees he can be trusted. Yeah. Um, the miners vote for violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, let's see here. Oh, and then we get a dinner. Uh, the first of many awkward dinner scenes. This is a hickey. Pass them peas, boy. Mm-hmm. Um Griggs pulls a gun at the table. That's always a fun thing. One of my favorite lines from the movie. Taint no guns allowed at the table. Ain't no guns allowed at the table. <laughs> very American. It is one something we would have to say and two something that we would say politely. <laughs> <laughs> Hickey talks to Elma and he gestures at her with a knife the whole time that he's talking to her. They're seemingly threatening. I'm getting a feeling these guys are up to no good. But we don't know where they stand yet. I think they're the baddies, Charles. I'm pretty sure that they're the baddies. They're waving their guns around. But they work for the company, right? right? And the company is good for the economy. Fine clothes. They have fine clothes, and like I just don't. And they drive one of them. The company vehicles. (laughs) I just don't. If you own a business, I think you should be able to hire and fire people at your will. Right. 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 Listen, right. the people of the town didn't build that house. Okay, so maybe they did. But the people of the town didn't like... They didn't pay for it. <laughs> right, yeah, they didn't pay for the building of that house, did they? They didn't pay for it. <laughs> We're bad capitalists, Charles. <laughs> maybe that's why our podcast isn't making any money. <laughs> yeah, you're an educator. and Well, I was in the military, so I'm a, I am was a good one. Yeah. They're sneaking. Oh, so um, Danny goes outside to cool off um, to decide whether or not he wants to hand his uh, new boarder some peas. Mm-hmm. And then he sees that the miners are, um, are heading up to the mine at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he goes and gets everybody and they go up there and there's a very tense moment. Um, in the front of some frickin' machine guns and a lot of armed men, and shit's about ready to pop off, and then the black and the Italian miners go up there and they throw their buckets down. Yep. And they say, no bucket. <laughs> it's it's such a great moment because it uses a piece of military equipment, which to me speaks very directly to like the ways that these kinds of things are supported. Um, it, you know, the 1033 program famously under the Obama administration let us sell military surplus to our police departments and things. But these intersections have long coexisted. It's also really fascinating because, again, this is how pacifism works. It is true. A lot of pacifists are going to get shot in the head because they're good at what they do. But there comes a point where they cannot machine gun everybody. They just cannot do it, even even though you think they might, and sometimes they do. If they do that, then it's total disaster for them. And so even though they have the, the capacity, even though they have the willingness, the movie is like, are they all going to get machine gunned? And they, they back down. They can't. They can't do it. People power. 
Because they still need you to pull coal out of there. Right. And because that kind of atrocity will hit the news. Like, the, even even mm-hmm. at these times, there's only so many ways you can kill lots of workers. You get it? Like, yeah. And you can't, like... You know, when I worked at the museum, there was... There is a narrative that gets told about Henry Ford giving a $5 wage and stuff like that, where he's like, look, if we can pay to retain these workers, we save money and it's the better thing to do and this and that. And they make him seem like a benevolent capitalist. Mm-hmm. This happens in 1914. It seems to imply that Henry Ford didn't read the news and didn't follow the giant year-long strike that happened in the place where he got his beloved train from. That happened just months prior. Yeah. That maybe he was reading the news and the huge giant atrocity inflicted mm-hmm. on the miners there was such bad press that he thought maybe before they start striking here at my factory, I should just, just raise the wages preemptively and it'll just be better. Sounds like an expensive victory, but a victory nonetheless, and we'll take it. <laughs> and then he right, gets exactly. all the accolades. Everyone and then he gets all the accolades. Ford was smart enough to know better. <laughs> Right. And it's like, no, he probably just read the news and knew what his compatriots up in the in the fucking north of Michigan. He knew you had to pay people going enough through. to afford a car. And also. <laughs> oh, fuck. I see. I was going to send Harry Bennett out there to just beat the shit out of people with billy clubs <laughs> and maybe machine gun them and stuff. But actually, it turns out that that's bad press. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Five bucks an hour. Hmm. Right, anyway, fine, fine, fine. I'll only make 20 million this year. <laughs> <laughs> exact fucking exactly uh, zimmerman cigar <laughs> the miners can't um can't live in the houses because all of that property is owned by the company mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of private pro- there's too much private property around so they have to kind of go way out into the middle of nowhere in order for them to even live mm-hmm. this is a thing that happens when i was hiking in helena recently like last summer you know, there was established trails that are around Mount Helena, and I was walking along a very obvious established trail, and then there was just a fence that went through the middle of it. Yeah. That I had never seen before. Yeah. And I was like, what? What the fuck is this? And it's like, oh, yeah. No, and somebody owns it now, actually. You can't just go walking through there. It's interesting. How, do, how are libertarians okay with yeah. that? That took away my liberty to fucking walk this trail that I've walked a hundred times before. The movie does a really good job of showing how settler colonialism happens as a result of that. The wilderness people get pushed out to then displaces all of these other folks. And um, the, the, in, in the movie, they're like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Italian or if you're black or if you're native. There's two kinds of people, those that work and those that don't. And I'm like, well, actually, there's more to that story than just that. But that's true. We do have those things in common. Um, the language of private property is it. And you're speaking to it. It's alive and well to this day. And it's nefarious. It's it's a, a, a rich family problem. But when my family moved to Montana, the land was pretty cheap. They had a pretty decent parcel that they sold when I moved. And one of the things that kills me to this day is that the whole land is developed. They tried to mm, get it uh, it's sold so ugly to now. the city for a park. And when they the city bought it, their argument was that the funds that they used to purchase it could not be used to buy a park, even though that's what they did, even though that's what they said they were buying it for. And so they then had to auction it off. And they auctioned off the land and made an absolute killing. And one of the developers was like related to one of the people that was on the city council. It's just an amazing coincidence how all of this worked out. 
And the point is, even the people selling the land are like, we want to make this public land. <laughs> and it turns into private freaking property. Private property. Yeah. Yeah, something cool about Oregon is that every piece of land from the ocean to the first line of vegetation is public space. And when you get to the state of California, that shit's over. <laughs> no. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Testerman, Hatfield, Griggs, and Hicks have a meeting in, um, in the, in Testerman's store and, and Griggs is, or Hicks is a little bit more like, Hey, come on. We're not, uh, we're, all of us aren't paid enough to, uh, to deal with this bullshit. He tries to buy him. He tries. He tries for like a second and then he immediately, when he sees that like maybe it's yeah. not going to work, like the moment that where maybe he might have to try a little bit harder, right. he's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> and he just starts shitting on them like immediately. He's just. <laughs> There's a soft moment while he thumbs cash under their nose trying to get them to do what they want. And then they push back a little. He's like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. You're stupid and you're ugly. I hate this shithole town. Yeah. Yeah, crop dusts him and walks out the door. <laughs> The town ain't for sale, mister. Nam hillbillies always got to do it the hard way. Mm-hmm. City folk, we hate them, don't we, America? <laughs> um, we get some talk about union, funds, strategy, politics. C.E. Lively, um, when people, instead of like, it could get explained to them so that they can understand it. And C.E. Lively is like, if you're going to do union, you got to play politics. That's just how it is, son. Yep. You know, like, he's just fanning the flames he wants them to uh to reject this stuff instead of having them understand why it's important Mm -hmm. because being part of that union means you're a part of a greater giant union well and i think it's funny as a commentary Mm. too because this is the scene that i said is so boring and this is a scene that's actually semi-informative and this movie makes no money and lone survivor makes so much and it is exactly the opposite and it is very much because if you're going to make a war movie a la war culture then you're going to get what lone survivor has and if you're going to make a war movie from the standpoint of the union, it's just a little harder. We don't have as many cool helicopters. We got dudes in tents huddled together talking about the Commonwealth Fund. <laughs> cool organizing. Well, we got a great jam band that I could have fucking listened to for the next 15 minutes. Oh, damn. Um, that jam band is so good. That organizing is tight. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, nice, nice. And here's another song about how to <laughs> set up a union. Yeah. Meanwhile, Saving Private Ryan is like, watch the beginning of this movie <laughs> and then sign up to fight. They shoot up the camp. So um so we get uh so I get some bad guys, some gun thugs, mm-hmm. they shoot up the camp to try to get um try to get shit going. We get a bloody shirt. We have um the worst casualty here, the mandolin. <laughs> It's just unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. They are monsters. <laughs> I mean, it's like what they did to the Irish, you know, outlying their ability to play music and dance and stuff like that. Like, you know, ruin their morale. They had a jam band before. Stomp on that fucking harmonica. Destroy that mandolin. Yeah. Smash the guitar and the yeah. morale, the, the a source of knowledge, a sense of community, a way of activating people. Yeah, it's a pretty useful mm-hmm. thing to shoot. At least nobody got killed. No thanks to you. Guns are mostly menacing in this movie. People continue to want to shoot them. Um, the movie continues to side with Keenahan fairly compellingly. I kind of love that about it. 
You get all mm-hmm. the apologetic, like, oh, no, thanks to the, you get it? Like, all the apologetic mm-hmm. is there, but the movie doesn't, I mean, it glorifies guns at the end when the sheriff's, you know, sitting there, like, shooting everybody in the middle of the street in a way, but not in, like, your classic sense, not in a conventional sense. And, and for most of the movie, yeah. they're just noisy and dangerous, and you don't like them. Yeah, totally. It's it's pretty smart. It's like it 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 knows what your what your argument's going to be, and so it's going to make it for you. But then Keenahan comes back and um and dunks on it mm-hmm. somewhat in a very polite way. Right? He's like, "Hey, I get it. I get it. They just they just don't believe that he gets it." Right. <laughs> Which is a I was in prison for pacifists. fucking two years. <laughs> yeah. People will be like, "You just don't care." It's like incorrect. <laughs> Uh, where'd all the men go? I wrote. Okay, so they must be having a meeting right now with C.E. Lively saying, this Joe Keenahan, he don't know what he's talking about. We got to go and uh, and give him a bullet, probably something like that. Right. Um, but while that's going on, back at the camp, uh, Griggs and Hicks show up and they have a bunch of gun thugs and they said that when you went on strike, your script ceased to be legal tender, meaning that everything that they had bought with the script is the companies that's fucking bullshit mm-hmm. yeah no. that's like that's an insane that's an insane argument ever how fucking dare you ever think that that would work like ought to be shot right there on the spot but obviously you can't do it yeah um and it's a very tense moment keenahan shows up you got a list of the items and how do you know and it's like it's not about that it's just about taking away from people right and forcing them, this is what this is what capitalism is. It's taking away from you so that you're so desperate you need to work and put up with whatever they subject you to. We learned earlier purchase of any items available at the company store from outside merchants will result in firing without pay. You cannot buy things that are available in the store with anything but script, which makes this moment here especially harmful because you yoke them into those purchases and then you deny them all of that so-called earned income through this little contractual move right here. Yeah. Which they probably signed off on as a condition to their employment. So really they just need to get a better job and read the fine print. They should have. Yeah, exactly. They should have read, read the, the fine, the print, fine print. I don't know about you, but I read all the fine print when I sign a contract and, and I have options. I can work somewhere else right. because I look around. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just get a better yep. paying job. I wanted to grab this when, when they were showing down at the top of the road and the machine gun and everything, and they walked away. Uh, we get to hear Bandira Rosa, the uh, Italian socialism song. So damn catchy. Listen to a little bit of that, please. Bandira Rosa, Bandira Rosa, Bandira Rosa, Folk music is global. Love it. Good stuff. It makes you want to move. Makes you want to march. Makes you want to sign up. <laughs> like the big red flag in the background. I'm not wearing my union shirt, but um, it's around here somewhere, bright red. Mm-hmm. We got our colors. My little red book is over there. That's what we call our union manual. It's a bright red book, and they call it the little red book. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> This is uh this is one one of the red books. This is uh The Rebel Girl. This is an autobiography by Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. Um she was a famous a famous organizer for the IWW. Um Joe Hill wrote a song about her called The Rebel Girl. Um you know, it's a dated reference to women a little bit, but it's early on the the IWW understood that um women are also workers. 
Um, and then the other book that was more recent, this is Beyond the Rebel Girl. This is by Heather Mayer, Women and the Industrial Workers of the World in the Pacific Northwest, 1905 to 1924. That looks rad. And so this is sadly a little bit smaller. Um, but this was, this is, I think the interview I heard was with this, um, with this author and she was talking about the, the sadly, the, the challenges and the, of not finding anything of these people because the history, this is a history that people for some reason don't want us to learn. We should Mm -hmm. like, see if we can get an interview there. That'd be awesome too, because the the note that I wanted to make about this scene where they're, they're kicking everybody out of the housing and everything. um, Or when the the soldiers show up again, it's one of the scenes where the the soldiers show up and they're afraid that they're going to do a bunch of shooting. And it's um, when Mrs. Elkins, who's Hillard's mom is yelling at Rosaria about the cooking. And that's when Mm -hmm. Joe sits down and gets in the middle of them. Um, we talk about the Bechdel test. We say the lowest test possible that most movies can't uh, accomplish, which is, are there more than one woman in it? Do they talk to each other about something that isn't a man? Well, this passes that muster, but it's not really doing a lot for the sake of standpoint because Bernie May calls um, Elma a sourpuss, the implication being because she wants to get with Joe and probably doesn't want Joe to get with anybody else. Um, and then here they're basically competing over who's going to cook better. And Joe is the person that gets in the middle of them to sort it out. And so it's like, even though it's not about a man, it's still centering a man. <laughs> Part of me was like, he cooks his own recipe. Yeah. <laughs> and you both have to agree that it's better. It's so funny. Cause it doesn't have anything to say about how to cook that shit. Cause he probably doesn't know what he's trying to do is just to get the women to agree because of the union. And I like that, but <laughs> it's just so frustrating. Cause he that's only another knows moment where it's like, recipe. He's like, well, I know how do you make like spread out of crushed ramen noodles and <laughs> right. well, Cheetos. The, the made book in that a you're holding bag. right there is probably much more interesting in terms of like <laughs> Rosaria's character, Mrs. Elkinson's character, and what they have. No, to no, offer. definitely. It's um, you know, and that's just the problem is yeah. that there's just we just need more movies or like God, it would be fucking interesting to yeah. see a miniseries. We had a movie or a miniseries called Damnation or a TV series, attempted one. That was only one season, mm. and that one sadly falls too much into the um, into having fun with killing guys like Griggs and Hickey. Right. This is mm-hmm. also, I think, where we get the hill people that, that come out with their yep, guns. This is and, where the hill people show up. Yeah, they, they say that they fought in the war between the states, which to me means these are like heroic confederates. Um, they got kicked off. Although of their West land. Virginia, probably they're. Interesting. They must be, yeah. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting question. Which side of the line they fell there? Um, but um, what's in, what I wanted to kind of point out about this was they their, got him as war surplus. Yeah, right. Their comment about um the old car sounds. I just absolutely love the alienation to the motor vehicle here. I just think it it makes me happy, and it, it's it's an old term you don't hear a lot, but every time I hear it, it makes me grin. It, they called it a motor coach in some instances, and it's because it's a coach with a motor in it. And I just the old horseless carriage, like that's mind blowing <laughs> at a certain point in time. You know, I love it. Um, this is um yeah, and actually in the twenties when this is going on, you know, horses are still pretty common to see in cities. Oh yeah, it's uh. Yeah, and yeah. cars are not. They're they're a rich people's tool. They I mean the Model T is gonna well, I mean, change by, that. By the twenties, yeah, by the by the twenties, they're they're pretty much everywhere, but but there's still horses around, you mm. know, like that's fucking crazy. You know, there's there's places like a place like Matewan probably I mean we saw it, like they just move stuff on the tracks. Right. But probably 
there is not a vehicle there except right. for the one that's brought in by the company. That's wild. Yeah. Sadly, I know too much about the <laughs> proliferation of cars in the United States because of where I used to work. Yeah. Like no production numbers for the fucking Model T. It's <laughs> that's, insane. It's not good. <laughs> it's not. But hey, at least good. you know that Ford was a shithead. <laughs> that's also important. I mean, they encouraged us to do our own research. So it's like, what's going to happen? You can't get grumpy when you tell people to do that and they come back with history. (laughs) Exactly. And I just come back from history and photographs. But you're blaming America, Charles. Okay. Okay. C.E. Lively is teaching IED construction to kids. (laughs) This was it, Charles. I was like, is he teaching a child how to build an explosive device? (laughs) We watched a whole batch of child soldiers. And uh, here it is. Yeah. There's the scene at the end when Danny almost shoots the guy running away. Um, I don't know if Danny shoots anyone during the shootout. I wasn't watching super closely, but he decides not to shoot that guy. But then he runs past him into the water. And I'm like, oh, he kind of baptized that guy. <laughs> it's like oh, yeah. a little baptism. But he's standing there with the gun looking like a badass. And I'm like, is Danny a soldier? I think so. I don't know. Kind of. He doesn't shoot the guy because he says, oh, yeah. Jesus. But um, he definitely builds this thing and shows up with a gun to the fight. So I wrote older generation manipulating kids into doing violence on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always old men getting young men to fight, isn't it? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Elma Radner dealing with the worst guests. Um. Yeah. This must be another eating scene or something. It is. It's Just when he's Griggs gone. And Hickier, the fucking uh, the kid's gone, and they're asking where everybody went, and they're asking what happened, and then there's a muffled explosion up at the up at the mine, oh, and she right, gets yep. up and leaves before that, and they're like, "She's got to learn." Oh table yeah, she has manners. a moment with Joe. She's like, yeah. "Oh yeah," and that's God, where she breaks dude. down with Joe, right? Everything they say is the worst. They're like truly like they just get more and more They're drunk, waving the their movie. gun around at church, laughing at the good people, oh, singing their gospel God, yeah. hymns. Pointing at the These old lady next to them with the, the gun and laughing. <laughs> yeah, so there's an explosion and they just immediately jump up. We're in business, boys, because they obviously know that this is going to fucking happen and this is what they're waiting for. Um, they go driving through town in the Model T, like, loaded on, like, the Keystone Cops, except <laughs> way more dangerous. Yeah, like the earliest um, version possible, a bunch of shithole dudes in a truck with their guns. Just off to get what they totally. Hillard's mom. Where's Hillard? Where's Hillard? These mining men can't wait to shoot people, I wrote. Mm-hmm. Might be some shooting. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to get into a shootout here. Mm-hmm. And, um... And they're like overlooking the road, like they're going to do an ambush, but they know where they're going to be set up already. So they blow up the mine to draw the men to the mine, and they're there ready to ambush them at the mine, except the ambush gets ambushed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a double cross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... And um, and it's like they already knew where they were going to be. They get shot from behind. The, the ambush comes from up the hill. And Cephas gets shot. Yeah. You fellas get on out of here. I'll hold them back. Again, guns going off, but just being noisy and dangerous and threatening and mm-hmm. no music to it at all. Just a clumsy shootout mm-hmm. in the woods where nothing good happens. Yep, that kind of feels like my regular, um, a regular match playing Hunt Showdown for me, mm-hmm. where I'm playing with an old, old gun, I'm not hitting anybody, my reload time is too long, and then I get killed. 
there's no more exciting game to me. <laughs> I just always think on. back to when I started playing paintball and I realized how much running was involved. And as soon as I got tired, I got hit by a bunch of paintballs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> and then I thought of that guy who's like, that's stupid. To, why die running? What was that? Jadoville? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Cephas um, gets wounded and he is hiding. He's um, He's like laying behind a log or something. And the uh, the detectives are walking through where the battle the battlefield was, and they're looking at the casualties. And they go to shoot a guy, but it's C.E. Lively. He fucking stands up, and he's like, "Hey, don't shoot me! It's C.E." And they're like, "Oh, hey, C.E. Man, my best man at my wedding. I can't believe you're here, <laughs> employee of the year, Baldwin Phelps, C.E. Lively." Hold on. They give each other a handshake and a high five and a knuckle tap. And they have a little poem that they each <laughs> recite. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they they do a bunch to verify his identity. <laughs> and it, it comes back all positive. It is, in fact, C.E. Lively. Well, Cephas sees this whole fucking thing. He can't believe his, his, damn, his damn eyes. Judas. Judas. Man, I really hope Judas did do it, because if not, talk about a guy getting a bad rap in history. Just your name is synonymous with being an asshole. <laughs> oh, did you ever see Last Temptation of Christ? Oh, with uh, Defoe? A long time ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you got to see that one. That one where it's like, no, this is the will of God that... That yeah. we set this up so that yeah. you get crucified. Wasn't he supposed so to absol- get crucified? <laughs> right. He gets mad at Jesus because um, because he like they show like the the possibility that that he gets off of the cross and get and lives a happy life. Mm-hmm. But Judas is like, how fucking dare you? Mm-hmm. You know how fucking hard it was to do to betray you. I had to be Judas I believe, forever. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I have to be Judas. You don't get to do this, Jesus. It is your. Yeah, it's a fascinating movie. Oh, and then um and then the they discovered the like the Gnostic gospels have like all these extra gospels that didn't get put into the the Bible and they found like the gospel of Judas, like a partial part of it and it's surprisingly like very similar to the kind of the last temptation of Christ story. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. I just think of the um, Mad TV skit where the Terminator because they, comes they in don't and say blows Jesus, Judas they away. say Willem Dafoe. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever see the the Mad TV skit where he comes in and blows the guy away and the Terminator is like sent back in time to protect Jesus? I'm programmed to protect you. So oh, I know. Judas I, my like, God, that's an old. He's memory. going to betray you, and he's like, "I know." Look, I've got a lot on my mind right now, and you're really starting to stress me out. Okay, okay. It's like Judas just gets a bad rap, man. Bosch's pilot at ten o'clock. Give me that thing. This Christmas, he gets a bad rap. He was just doing God's yeah, will. I know, right? And um, now he is synonymous with this shithead. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, any signs of Cephas? Oh, so this is back at the... Um, this is after the shootout. Yeah, Lively yeah, gets any back. Any signs of Cephas? And, yeah. We'll smell him. Mm-hmm. Poor Cephas. They're saying that he's stinky. Yep. He didn't look stinky. Grab his ankles, mind your dress. He's bleeding like a stuck pig. <laughs> just very <laughs> Americana not. right there. <laughs> yeah, C.E. Is, uh, is discovered by some people who like know his relatives. Or mm. not C.E., um, Cephas. Um, C.E., in the meantime, he's uh, sowing hate and doubt. Um, Bridie has composed, has dictated a very horny letter where she is saying that, hey, Joe, how about we confess our 
feelings for each other. Time to put all shyness aside and admit to our heartfelt desires. Are you sure you want to do this? Heartfelt desires, dearest Joseph. See how horny that is? It's really weird. Like, Joe is completely oblivious, and she is like, oh, he loves me because I know men, and we're all supposed to laugh at her about it. I don't know. I feel bad for her, but also she's my girlfriend, and we're (laughs) going to get married. So you're happy it all works out? Yeah, it's like, yeah, she's going to move to my town now. I don't even have to move there. Um, But she already had a house. Hmm. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) CE sewing hate and doubt. I put poor Bridie, and I wrote, what a piece of shit. I said CE doing Republican shit, meaning that he's um he's making a lot of accusations about things that he's doing himself. Yeah. Just really unfortunate that Bridie is this easy to betray and like to, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just It's a bummer, man. Big miss I hate in to this see movie. her go down this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um but also maybe she learns from this and she um <laughs> maybe there's a there's a whole like Bridie adventure movie where she gets on the train. <laughs> Made one then- too. Bridie's adventure and it's about how she moves to California and establishes herself as a media tycoon. <laughs> and- <laughs> Selling newspapers, lying about the union. (laughs) (laughs) Brave uh, security agents from the uh, Baldwin Fisk Detective Agency put down (laughs) a bunch of socialist, red-loving, baby-killing communists in the hills. Never. (laughs) She would never do that. Bridie would never. (laughs) How dare you? Becomes a spy in World War II. It's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, how dare you besmirch her name? Charles is going to defend her honor on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kenahan shows up. Um, oh, so this must be where the kid's wounded, and he's um, he's he's kind of filling everybody in on the on the ambush. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's because this kid is like, what? What did he say? He said, "All I know is that those Africans and Dagos weren't there." And, and we got ambushed. And it's like, well, yeah, I think specifically few clothes earlier, I think, said um, said that if there's any shooting, don't fucking be around because the last thing you need is for a black guy to shoot a white person mm-hmm. because nobody is going to care about what is going on. And that kind of explains then why when I see photographs of like Battle of Blair Mountain stuff. I don't see black people in there mm-hmm. and it's maybe it's specifically because they're like, no, I can't be ever caught where you guys are going to get your guns taken away and then let go. I will be lynched. Yeah. We talked in the episode on glory, how there've always been special rules for black folks and indigenous folks that tried to bear arms, which once again, emphasizes it was never really an individual right more as a power tool. Um, this movie not only like demonstrates that, but has those that funny joke in it where he's like, "White." We'd already talked about it. You know how white folks mm-hmm. is when they get excited. I mean, not even a funny joke. Sadly, it's <laughs> no, just right? Like a grim a matter a of moment fact. Of, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like whiteness will make that a joke in a movie, right? <laughs> like that's how whiteness talks about it. Um, no, but it's it made me think of a stupid back and forth between Snoop Dogg and Chris Hart on NBC talking about the Olympics. How if you just put two words together, you make up your your own brand new sport volleyball at a beach beach volleyball oh my god tennis at a table table tennis 
You see me working? I see you working. Can't stand there. Boxing. Turn up the heat. Hot boxing. Yo, I'm not. I'm not really sure how that one works. Kevin Hart is All like. Right, okay, like this. Like uh, so you got mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Mountain do biking. Hmm. Now we got sponsors. All right. Dead lifting. Dead body lifting. Right. That's a little dark, but it's a team sport. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Shooting, right? That's a white man's sport. No, 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 no. Shooting dice. Now that's for the community. Love that <laughs> shooting is a white people's sport. It's like, that's what we do. We just get our guns and shoot stuff because we're a bunch of violent shitheads. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love to shoot. But it's it's more of a relaxation thing. But I can see it's almost like golf, you know, where it's like I have to go to a specific place to shoot. And it's kind of expensive to do it unless you can rent equipment there. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's an expensive thing to do. It's so it's different like than it was growing where up. You can shoot. Yeah. Growing yeah. up in Montana, we could just take guns anywhere we wanted and shoot. And now that I don't live there anymore, it's like, wow, you have to like go places to shoot. That's complicated. You have to find a specific place to shoot. And it's like, and if you're a rifle shooting person that likes to do like, like long distance, you know, focus mm-hmm. shooting, then where the fuck do you go for that? You got to mm-hmm. drive really far. I got like a nice rifle that a, a dear like childhood friend gave me for my fucking wedding and I haven't even gotten to shoot it yet. Right. It's like, where would you go to do it? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we got to get back to this movie. Yeah. They, they had a shootout. A bunch of people died. They're all pretty sad about it. This is where we get the bit from um, Chris Cooper's character that if we use guns, we're going to lose. So even after this shootout, even after this has happened, we're still getting a pretty good stand for pacifism. Dig it. Everyone admits he's right, but that doesn't stop the end of the movie from being what it is. They don't want to admit it. And and it gets definitely delayed because um, because then the rumor comes in because not only. Right. Well, they got to go see what Bridie has to say. And Bridie Bridie basically says that he is the guy working for the corporation. And so, of course, they dispatch few clothes to kill him. She didn't even say that. She's like, she says like this whole thing about how, um, how he talked shit. And then dropped a piece um, of paper. Is that what it was? Well, it was, that's like what, uh, that's what Lively says. So it's like even, it's even more fucked up actually when you break it down. Because she tells this whole thing about how he was shitting on them and then how he um, how he forced himself on her and then threw money like she was a whore. I, yeah, right. And after that whole thing is done, the guy's like, so he ain't got no sense with women. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> so he don't have no sense with women. So what? You know how Bridie builds things up. It's fucked up. He's just sitting there like, son of a bitch. No, no, no. They've told her to go outside of her own house. Done just fine, honey. Now, why don't you go sit outside for a minute while we figure out what we're going to do about this? Instead of all of them going outside of the porch, they said, hey, Bridie, can you go And you're mad at me for what I said. This movie does her worst, Charles. This movie does her wrong. (laughs) And um, and Bridie is an angel, and she didn't deserve that. <laughs> oh dear, it's so disappointing. But the 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 scene that it, it it's it's funny that few clothes. It's like few clothes has such a small part to play. He gets rocks thrown at him. He throws his shovel down. He makes the points about not being able to be there. He draws the short straw to kill Joe Keenahan, which ultimately, thankfully, never really happens. And then he kind of just disappears. 
But the moment where they're well, sitting there talking about the Mennonites, like I loved that scene. I thought that back and forth mm-hmm. was really great. That was really it's like two huge a really a fucking good performers in a pretty key moment in a scene, like literally life and death stakes at that moment. And like the subtext and the text itself is like literally demonstrating the power of pacifism. It's pretty cool. Before we get that speech, we get um, what they do say is C.E. Lively does says that, well, he also dropped this letter. Okay, you guys don't care about Bridie. Okay, I thought that was going to work. Well, I had this backup. (laughs) (laughs) It's just totally unnecessary. (laughs) They didn't even need to use her this way. Like, it's Mm -hmm. it's so so sad. Sales, you got to do better than this. He he showed up and he dropped his letter. Well, maybe they wouldn't believe that. They had to like, he had to like really grigs them up it, for yeah everybody. it's all about greasing the character first and then you can <laughs> put whatever you want on there. um and the guy the guy picks up the letter and they're like what is it he goes it's a death warrant is what for a mr joseph canahan oh shit meanwhile danny gets caught he's like in there um he's in griggs and um mm-hmm. and hickey's room mm-hmm. and they come in and and give up they he overhears everything that just went down and then Hickey is like, hey, I don't leave my gun like this. It's usually canted another 10 degrees right here like this. <laughs> and um, and then he turns around and just immediately punches through the wall and grabs the kid by the <laughs> neck and then pulls him out through the drywall. This is going to have fun. Goes him on boy, just like he <laughs> killed those five crowds back in the war. <laughs> holy shit killed like a whole just one by one he just like farmed a spawn <laughs> he just and, shush, uh, shush, shushed him saving private ryan time one at a time <laughs> just over and oh over God. and over it's like 20 minutes had a unique scene. moment with each one of them <laughs> so <laughs> unnecessary <laughs> by the way he's the bad guy <laughs> yeah and he's got it but he's got a medal for valor uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> because he's that despicable. <laughs> so this is interesting because he is like he's a decorated war hero, but an undeserving one, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess. I mean, he did some pretty much some Audie Murphy type crazy shit, but Keenahan is like the opposite, right? Like Keenahan refused to go to the war altogether and stuff. Like it's like the movie comes down pretty much movie takes a stance on it yeah where it's like this guy who did the thing he's a monster the medals are dishonorable Mm -hmm. yeah i mean for a dishonorable thing it's like it's insane when he tells what i had to do right and that plays Mm -hmm. as it will obviously given his particular context as an african-american and what's available to him at the time so he gets a little softer play for it but you're right that's actually a really good point this guy being like the medal winner at the war is the total, mm-hmm. they play it as he gets it for gut sticking a bunch of Germans, which just makes the audience like kind of sad. Yeah. Huh. And he's like, yeah, it's crazy. And two hours in prison <laughs> a- coming up next, two hours or two, two hours. Yeah. He wishes two years in prison. That's the honorable move. I dig it. Yeah. Um, few clothes um, draws the, draws the straw to kill Keenahan. He gets to kill him. <laughs> um, another awful dinner with Griggs and Hickey because they're particularly shitty now. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Cephas is is recovering from his wounds and he's like, got to tell people what he knows. And he goes to sit up and the lady's like, I just got your leak stopped up and you're going to bust them open again. 
and then he does and just bleeds out and dies just it shoots out it it, you hear like the popping of stitches and then he looks down and she looks at him and then there's a moment like in an anime before then the blood just shoots out of the wound just sounds like a garden hose on the horrific spray (laughs) totally You just see the skin going white from the top down like he's just breaking <laughs> out like a glass. Yeah, his eyeballs roll into the back of his head and like and shrivel up like raisins. The bad guys are basically this kind of caricature at this point. They're drunk in church. This is where they're drunk in church, waving a gun around at the people while they sing their Christian songs. Wonder working power in the blood, in the blood of the lamb. Of the lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the lamb. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. And this is also where we get the Mennonites, uh, the Mennonite speech. Right. So, so this is where Fuclose says, well, I did what I had to do. And he's like, well, this is what the other people had to do to hold up to their beliefs. But Fuclose is in a different situation, I feel like. It doesn't get that um, and context, I think, but it, sh- it could. It should. It yeah. could, and it should. It should, because there is, I think there is, there is a reason why you don't have a ton of of black people in the IWW in the history or so. And that's because they're dealing with their own fucking massive civil rights issue Mm -hmm. that, that, and, and it's like a lot of people just like every time they try to get into a union, like the (laughs) AFL CIO or something like that, you know, they're, they just vote not to include them, you know? So it's like, it's too soon, but Keenahan should start lecturing him about like what Martin Luther King would have done. Oh, God. <laughs> now the CE Lively would say that whiteness CE Lively would have a bunch of the proper uses of nonviolence is an interesting read for this scene but what we Kena do Han a- would listen I think <laughs> yeah what we do get is a pretty powerful testimonial of Mennonites refusing to wear buttons and refusing to pick up a gun and he says they're the bravest people mm-hmm. he's ever known and I dig it I love it yeah I always say like the bravest thing to do is to not charge because Everybody else is like, that's the one thing I can't do. And I'm like, well, then that sounds like the bravest thing to me. I don't know. Well, Griggs and and Hickey have said that they um, that if Danny or whatever his name is, um, if he says anything, they're going to uh, to pants him in front of everyone, mm-hmm. give him a wedgie. Mm-hmm. And um, and he has to then speak in code, much like Jesus did. Mm hmm. And he does, and he gives a very loaded sermon, and mm-hmm. his friends actually get it, which is awesome. <laughs> They're like, oh, shit, we, they put actually the things together, and those two drunk assholes who are so awful just don't even, they aren't even paying attention. They're drunk with power. One of the guys just kind of like ducks out of their view and gets out the back door and runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they're so bad, I wrote they can't here, be bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what song is playing right now at this point in the movie, but I wrote all the church songs have IWW counterparts. Yeah. So you said that one of them was power in the union. Yeah. Um, this is the blood of the lamb song. And um, I don't know those lyrics, but the Joe Hill ones, I really dig when it comes to the chorus. There is power. There is power in the band of working men when they stand, when they stand hand in hand, hand in hand. Yep. That's a power. That's a power that must rule in every land. One industrial union grand. If you've had it. Now forgive my singing, but um, you know you gotta love the union. I told you in chat, like 
the intersection between March style music and union activism gets me every single time. Um, I'm very aware of the white supremacist overtones of a lot of the folk and so-called sacred heart music of the time, but I just absolutely love it. I love the notion of people shouting their demands and shouting their beliefs and shouting their convictions, facing mortality, death, fear, certain strife, struggle, poverty, and just finding solace in music. Like I'm a devout agnostic, but I love it. It makes me happy. Cephas, he must have left and uh, and got the news out. And C.E. Lively's shop is burning down. Mm-hmm. Um, is C.E. inside? No such luck. <laughs> um, oh, and also the news got to so um, few clothes is leading is leading Keenahan out into the woods, Miller's Crossing style, right? And um, and he's got the gun in like Chris Cooper's mouth. <laughs> And he's telling him to fucking pray to his to his God and say one last and and Chris Cooper like is pleading for his life uh-huh. and and Just begging for him not to do this around the and, muzzle. <laughs> and um, and then the guy runs up and says that it was all a mistake and they all laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, they laugh and slap each other on the the guy that runs up him and Fuqua slap each other on the shoulder and walk off and they leave Keenahan there. <laughs> He slaps him on the shoulder. The gun Wondering goes what off, the but fuck happened. It just discharges because, to the left of his head and doesn't kill him. And they're like, oh, that was close. <laughs> and the guy the guy whispered the update, so Keenahan never is filled in as to why that, what <laughs> the hell just, just happened. leave him there, tied up in the woods. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah, so C.E. Okay. Lively, he, um, he fucks off across the, uh, across the river because he isn't welcome anymore. His, um, he has been... Um, caught out he burn noticed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. notice you got Literally. burned right and um, and poor Bridie May is embarrassed by this whole thing and she is leaving town she's got all of her stuff packed at the train station it's heading a bummer to, man heading to Montana to oh, I can't wait oh man feeding chickens mm-hmm. just feeding chickens and sitting at the train station just talking to people as they come in right can't wait right Hopefully, just Brad Pitts left and right. Yep. Oh, there's word of the union spreading. We get a uh, montage and some voiceover because now that they realize that Keenahan wasn't a bad guy and they almost dang killed an innocent man, um, he's got like everything he says is like gospel, mm-hmm. and and now it's spreading to other minds and stuff. It's, you can't just just organize one mind because they can just up it in another mind and stuff. So you need like a bunch of different minds around there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's working. Yep. And and it's like everybody is is working together. I wrote here it this is sort of a partisan film. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but isn't there like a movie called like Defiance or something about about Jewish people in Poland or something hiding out in the woods? Hmm. Like this seems like a like a resistance movie. Yeah, this is when the the legend of William Wallace spreads high and low and the Scots come totally, down in right. droves to yeah, they say it spreads like wildfire. Spreading like wildfire. And we're not making fun of anybody. We're just saying that it did. It spread like wildfire all over the land. Just mm-hmm. far. Spreading like wildfire. High and low. And um, and then we get a little baseball. A little old school baseball. 1913's baseball. Who's your favorite pitcher? This is how men bond. Talking about those sportsy, sportsy sports. 
with some old school gloves there. Um, little sports movie project lingering in the margins, I've been saying. Wrecking their hands. <laughs> yeah, those gloves look uncomfortable. I was looking at that and being like, I do not want to catch a baseball with that, let like, alone one that's traveling that like, 80 miles an hour, 90 miles yeah. an hour. That looks like the same glove I would buy to garden with. Yeah, it looks like an oh, oven no. mitt. <laughs> <laughs> We have uh, we see the funds are being given out now, funds from the United Mine Workers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we have supplies and stuff like that getting in there. And this Griggs and and Hickey are watching, and they don't like this. Yeah, and it's the baseball um, talk where he says the two years in jail were worth it. It wasn't his talk with uh, Fuclos. It was actually him talking to Danny. I have that here. I thought that was the other spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's throwing throwing the ball back and forth like a dad. It's cool that he's giving that to the boy though. That makes me happier. Mm-hmm. You get it? Like that's. Yeah, yeah. Fuclos has already done been there, so right. he doesn't have to be telling him about it. Right. The, we also get uh, we also get some closure with the with the old lady watching the Italian women. Um, I ain't gonna watch no babies go hungry. She gives them a rabbit. Yeah, they get along. That's good. They let her. They let her sit down with them because they're like, okay, I guess she's nice, but it's still unbelievably awkward. They don't know what the fuck to say to each other. And white women were never racist again. <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely going to be like one of those people that says problematic anti-italian stuff like calls over and over and over again constantly <laughs> and the lady's just going to be like yeah but she doesn't really mean it they she just doesn't know better mm-hmm. but then her kids and their kids kids are going to still say the same shit mm-hmm. 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 yeah play catch with joe and this is where i where I wrote Joe got put into leavenworth props possibly in the palmer raids i have another book somewhere around here that is um that's the letters of a wobbly that would have been in prison with a Joe Keenahan. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the letters to his family during that time. Hmm. Um, and they're very, it's very interesting. Wow. That would be cool. That'd be worth mm-hmm. looking at. Yeah. And because they're letters, it, it kind of reads like very quickly, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would. Yeah. It would be fairly straightforward, but it's such an interesting form of correspondence that was such an integral kind of history keeping for for so long. And it's just, mm-hmm. you put so, so like really fascinating content shows up in letters that you may not necessarily put in other kinds of things. I don't know. It'd be cool. Yeah. Um, the boys are just too fascinated with shooting and killing mm-hmm. after he plays catch with Joe. It's like the two boys are sitting up on the mountain and they're talking about like the legend of the Hatfields and McCoys or whatever. And right. some other kid who shot somebody, and how he was only 13 or something. And it's like, God damn it. They just can't wait. Yeah. Um, they go to steal coal and old Hillard there. Oh, that's who it was. It was Hillard. Mm-hmm. Um, as they're stealing coal, they get shot at and Hillard, he gets caught. Mm-hmm. And um, Danny is like hiding on the other side of a, of a coal car or something. And he can just sort of like see the feet of, of Hillard and Hillard's getting beat up. And they're like, Give us five names, you know, give us five names of, of someone and we'll let you go. And Hiller doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He, he gives him he the names of five it. people in the cemetery. And then it mm-hmm. cuts through. Yep. Yeah, Bridie May's husband among them. C.E. Lively is among the guys that are there with them as this goes down. And um, <clears throat> um, what's his name? Griggs says, I sentence you to death for stealing company property. Now, I'm just going to say this right now. I don't think a company should be able to do that. <laughs> well, what? Charles, that's private property, I, though. But that 
I think that if you steal from the mall, you shouldn't get to be well, but that's pri- executed. But that's if this- private property. We can't steal things from the Coca-Cola company. We learned that early on, and you definitely can't steal things from the Stone Mountain Coal Company. It's private property. That makes sense. Private well, property. Well, you're the debater. You're the doctor, I guess. I am just the one telling you that if your property is- As be- a layman, I think that that doesn't seem good. <laughs> What's so amazing to me about the whole vocabulary is, you know that thing like Americans are just like like temporarily embarrassed millionaires? We want to support the defense of private property because we want our property to be defended. And so few of us even really own property. <laughs> so it's so stupid that a bunch of people that do not even own land will read a newspaper article about workers getting thrown off quote private property and they'll associate that with their own potential property and they'll want that to be protected i don't get it it's awful they do they cut his throat and then uh yeah that's C- pretty gross MCE uh... is like nothing like killing a young boy to stir things up now he's twirling his mustache we got a yeah, three nothing like a young twirl. boy dying <laughs> yep Ugh. Yeah. Um, Sid, he brings um, Hillard's dead body back to the mining camp mm-hmm. and um, and sh- shit's going to go down. Mm-hmm. He knows it. Um, Baldwin's are coming to town and they're sending in mercs. They're fresh from the Congo. They don't know where they're coming to. They don't know what they're coming from. They just saw an ad about red-blooded Americans that are doing this. And they're like, hey, it beats the housing market right now. Where, where do I need to go? <laughs> Who am I shooting today? <laughs> Hey, they're just there to do security, right? Yeah. And then, uh, then who knows? They the natives get Michael Bay get makes the movie from this person's perspective. <laughs> oh my god, wouldn't that be fucking hilarious to see the thirteen hours from the point of view of the Baldwin Phelps guys? Thirteen hours, the secret soldiers of Maitland. It would be so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a, a lot of, of guys. Just bearded hail people in overalls. <laughs> okay, they're breaking off. It's game time. Throwing like waves <laughs> of them coming towards the train station. <laughs> Let them come. <laughs> machine gunning them is like a whole bunch of them run around a corner Take, or something getting a headshot and dropping Molotov cocktails right at their feet just <laughs> going up in flames and just completely unnecessary sparks because Michael Bay why not <laughs> holy fuck Kind of we have see two it. really it good so movie bad. pitches in this episode, Charles. We are set. <laughs> Bezos, where are you? You can make fucking a billion of these movies. You can. I know. Like I said, what's all that I, money I, I, for I, if not something like this? <laughs> if you can't think of a, a concept and be like, actually, I want to see that. Give it to me in two to years. Bezos because we're supporting the company town making that movie again. <laughs> oh man, it would be it would be such a fascinating train wreck. I would Executive I would love to see it. Produced by Jeff Bezos only on Amazon Prime. <laughs> the other day, I was driving and I thought up the title. Um, it would be the the sequel to a Slenderman movie. It's called the Slenderman Chronicles: Return to Slender. <laughs> and I thought, I, I, I like if I was Jeff Bezos, that's all of the work I would have mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. I could then just say, give the money to some. I give a hundred million dollars yeah. to somebody, <laughs> which is dollars. which is a fart. Yep, well, mm-hmm. and be like the time you've spent it talking out. about it he's already out earned it <laughs> so exactly exactly make this title i just thought up pay off i want to see what it is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
God damn it. Someone's going to walk out of that it? room making $130 million thinking it's only a fart. And they're like, we have to have a fart in there? I don't get it. doesn't matter. And they'll make it and you'll be like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> now do the other one. So they're really sad. Anyway, right into a eulogy for Hillary. Yeah. And the, and the preacher guy <laughs> just totally ignoring what he was told by uh, old, what's his name? Keena Hand there is like, we're going to pick up where you left off. And I'm like, so bleeding out and dying. You're all going to go bleed out and die. That's the plan. Okay. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Shooting is what they want yeah. now. Yep. We get the kind of um, like, go ahead. We get the real Hazel Dickens. This is where they're like, do, are you going to tell us to turn the other cheek? And he's like, well, not exactly, but kind of. <laughs> and then, yeah, there's Hazel Dickens. And again, with the shout singing, like, I am not a religioso. I don't care about Galilee, but come on. This music fucking moves you. Deliver us from the gathering storm. Unworthy though we are. Leave us living safe and warm. And sheltered in your arms. Falling out of grace are we, sinless nevermore to be. Deliver us from the gathering storm. That's good. Listen to that. So good. And her voice is so good. Just moving. That's how you cope. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And brighten up our night. Oh, lift us out of the valley of tears and fill our path with light. Falling out of grace are we. Um, you know, people wanted to cut, people said about the Snyder cut. And said it's too long, and you have like a scene where you know a bunch of Nordic women freaking stand on the water and sing to Aquaman as he like descends into the water. Why is that there? And it's like no, I I love that shit. <laughs> Keep that in there. Sounds I can see less punching. Amazing. Leave that in there. <laughs> yeah, Zach's that's not what I'm complaining about when it comes to Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, few clothes is saying to his guys, um, stay out of town tomorrow. Why you heard something? You know how white men are when they get all excited. Got a feeling. You know how white folks is when they get so excited. He can feel that there's going to be um, some shit going down. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, this is a retribution that black people don't get to have. Right. Um, but I would love to see. I would love to get see if I was Jeff Bezos. I could just give a hundred million dollars and be like, let's see the few clothes movie. I want to see the fucking movie about this guy who went to the Spanish American war right. and fought in fucking Cuba. Let me see. Let me see the war movie about San Juan Hill that talks about the 10th Cav there yeah. that don't get any credit. Yeah. Because all we talk about is Teddy Roosevelt and there was like a whole freaking black cavalry unit there. And it'd be interesting to think about how that experience would inform his exposure to this kind of fighting. Yeah. You get it like, oh, they want a war. Well, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And then you, you'd imagine him being able to hear all the shooting and all that shit. Like, God. There's, 
They said that that a quarter of all cowboys in the in the post Civil War West were black, and it's like you just don't see that in movies. It's one of the most amazing whitewashes ever. Is the idea that a cowboy is a white man? It's one of the most incredible yeah. things ever when you look at the actual demographics of the people doing that work back in the yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, Danny's speech on help, where he's saying um, he's saying that people came in and helped, and they took their land from them. <laughs> said that they'd help them with money, they'd help them with jobs, and they stuck them in the mines, st- give them jobs and houses, and they just stuck them down in the mines and uh, and control their housing. Yep. So what's the union going to do? Yep. Yeah, Danny seems fairly committed. Um, he wants to avenge his friend. The sheriff is like sitting in his. <gasps> this office. is like when what's his name died on the bridge. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, radicalized youths. It's the death of their peers. The sheriff sitting in his smoky office, listening to harmonica music, loading up his gun. Like this is kind of glamorizing this dude, right? Like, okay, I'm not. Good. Kind of. I th- that's why I said I, I think the movie is specifically almost. I think John Sales is making this for people in this of the demographic of of the Matewan folks. Sure. And I think and I think that he's very aware of who they idolize. But I feel like when I said it's recruiting people for pacifism, but it's also recruiting people to show up with a gun to a gunfight. That's this is kind of what I'm talking about. I know. I know. It, it's doing both at the same time, which is where I'm like, it's a little soft on pacifism. It's there. It's just a little soft. And, and the pacifist. Yeah, that's why I feel like had they had in a very if, nice the, if the movie was three hours long yeah. and we got to see Sid Hatfield, <laughs> oh, you know, like that get gun down. <laughs> like, could you imagine if it like if it if in the last 15 minutes of the movie, Sid Hatfield gets shot 15 times and then C.E. Lively comes up and puts a bullet in his head? <laughs> Holy fuck, you would be so mad. Upset, like, right? Um, that would be some Empire Strikes Back shit. Yeah, Jesus. right. So when we uh, cut to Elma walking through all of the sleeping men, and she's like walking around looking at all the sleeping guys that are about to get, go get shot in the morning, right? That's kind of what it's doing. Mm-hmm. It, it made me think to our conversations that y'all have been having with Mets and everything that we've been doing with Mets, talking about like these moments. And I'm thinking about the night before combat and all of the, the men laying around in beds right before they go to sleep mm. or asleep. And it's like one guy realizing that that somebody's just walked in, so he's stopped jacking he's just off. Waiting. He's like, <laughs> just laying there motionless, so close, <laughs> pushing. He has one leg up to do. <laughs> he has to find a way to roll over casual dude to make it look like casual to make it look like him. <laughs> Oh, I'm just rolling so over. So that's not oh, where I thought we would go. But sure, yeah, like there's all sorts of possibilities here. I'm just saying. There's a lot of guys in there is what we're saying. Yeah, and their their minds aren't all on the coming fight. Um, Yeah, okay. On the coming fight. <laughs> just, can get there no matter what. We love this movie. Sorry. <laughs> like it's just, yeah, it's really good. Fucking watch it. Absolutely. Um, Especially this scene. So yeah. <laughs> I wrote tense night. Uh, Joe wants a meeting. You know, he's like, he knows that it's his tense. And he's like, I, I want to fucking, t- I need to talk to the guys. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, we'll set up a meeting for you in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all leave before Joe gets up. Yeah. Um, oh, Mayor Testerman, I said, you know, he doesn't have to be there. 
And he's like, no, I got to be here. This is my town too. He's so weak. He's so feckless. He's so like in- incapable. He's just your typical big kind of guy who kind of wimpy talks. I don't think it shits on him though. I think it does. I don't think it's, I don't think it does. I feel like. You don't feel like his frail little voice there before the gunfight goes down and everyone looking at him like he's a total idiot and then. No, because he's still pretty fucking brave. Like he doesn't. No. He's like a guy who absolutely doesn't need, doesn't look like he needs to be sh- no. facing down with those guys. I'm proud of him. And he walks right out yeah. there and and faces them better down. than the pacifist. And like he's he's on time and dressed for the occasion and ready to give the. Well, they were trying to, yeah, they were trying to specifically deceive Joe, mm-hmm. I think, and leave mm-hmm. him out because mm-hmm. he would have ruined this for everybody. Yeah. He would have been with the mayor. Right. Trying to talk everybody out of this whole thing, right. and, and everybody else wants just blood just to shoot. because of what they did to Brighty. Um. So Sid and the mayor face down the thugs. Joe comes running, and um, and it just all like the piece of dynamite right at the beginning of the movie. It just comes to a head. Um, these two thugs that are right in the front are like two of the actual brothers of the Baldwin Feltz agency. Whoa. Like two of the founding brothers or something. Hmm. And um, I don't bother to learn their names. Who gives a shit? <laughs> um, they're, as much as this shootout shouldn't happen, the correct outcome happened with those two guys. <laughs> is that they should have gotten their freaking heads caved in at some point by something. It should have been falling coal, but oh well, we'll settle for this. Judith Butler's force of nonviolence gives us the vocabulary of grievability, and I'm just not going to spend a lot of time grieving them. It just doesn't seem necessary. No. Um, It's no. sad that, again, the, the whole bit at the end, I know they're trying to deceive Joe. He comes around, shouts no, everybody looks, that's when the shooting starts, and that's right when he takes it. You get it? It's just, it's so immediate. He is kind of the thing that starts the fight. The movie is kind of suggesting wrong place, wrong time. But also, he is, that that is, like, definitively the textual moment where the shooting starts. No! No! It's interesting because it's like it's outside of his control. The movie's just faded it. It's like everyone is just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to go down. And that's kind of how the eulogy sounds to me. When they're like, we all got what Joe said we were going to get. The guy's like, well, but that's what was going to happen. I mean, you got all these people with all these guns and they're so mad. You can't expect them to listen to this guy. You know, it just, it doesn't, doesn't come off. Yeah, but at the, at the end of the movie, he's like, and I learned that he was right. And so it changed my tune the whole time after that. When he says that, it's over the face of a kid going gloomy eyed back into the coal. He's standing there looking mm-hmm. sad and like it didn't, it didn't get him anything. It wouldn't have gotten him anything either way. Yeah, because because at that point for that kid, they're losing the Blair Mountain bullshit. Yeah, the one thing I wanted you know, to say like, at the end when they killed up all the bad guys is like, and capitalism was defeated forever. <laughs> this was the <laughs> war that ended capitalism. <laughs> and that's how Cuba was founded. Yeah. <laughs> It's a pretty good shootout. Um, it is. It's same story. Uh, it's, just, Sid, it's no music. It's not heroism. It's just noisy yep. and scary and clumsy. Sid and- pulls out his his two guns and he just blows the two uh, the two brothers' heads off right there. First thing, um, Hickey gets shot um, in the leg. Um, 
what's his name, Griggs and Cephas get like shot near each other and they like sit up simultaneously to shoot at each other. Griggs shoots Cephas painfully right in the effing kneecap, Just man. Like that, that looked hate that one. Oh God. Mm-mm. And um and Cephas as he shoots Anything back. The joint. No joint shooting. Yeah. It's nasty. <laughs> and it's particularly nasty with the way that he's like sitting down and taking it. <laughs> like it's it's there's something about the violence in this movie that that kind of like hit harder. It just seems than, blunt. Than it seems really watched. blunt and kind of yeah. pointless. You get it? It's like just like a kneecap blown off, and then this guy gets it in the neck, but he doesn't like gush yeah. a bunch of neck. Blood. Griggs gets aim punched in the neck. Yeah, yeah. he just kind of. And then, um, yeah, and what's his name? Hickey goes um, goes limping off and and gets to the boarding house, and he's in like the um, in the laundry that's hanging, and he sees one of the kids or something. He's about to shoot him. He's in with the dirty and laundry. They, I mean, this is the clean <laughs> laundry. He's been hung out to dry. <laughs> He's been hung out to dry. Yeah, exactly. Second swipe was the one I needed. <laughs> no, it was good. A little bit of a punch up, but yeah, no, it was it was pretty good. So thankfully, she's got two barrels, so she had two tries to <laughs> nail that. She's two for two. That's way better than me. <laughs> Fucking Hickey gets both of them, and um, and if the movie... Although, to be fair, she's shooting buckshot. That shit spreads out, okay? It's pretty hard to miss <laughs> at that range. <laughs> if the uh, if the movie had the budget, he would have just, like, totally got his guts, like, blown in half, like, Rambo-style. Cold Mountain, they shoot a guy in the laundry, too. There's something about women mm. shooting dudes to death and the blood getting on the cleaned laundry. There's something going on here, mm-hmm. I feel like. I think people like that. They just they just see that scene. It's like putting a. We don't have any supplies here in fucking Jadoville, but we did bring these aluminum, these brushed aluminum cups here specifically for the bullet to get dropped into. We did get that. <laughs> so it's like it's like the 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 filmmakers are like ah, it's just too good to just have that blood splash up onto that clean sheet. It's a good shot. It's it's like the what does it mean? It, it's another innocence lost, purity like spoiled. Mm. You get it? Like all the work we put well, it's into like, cleaning something and it is just ripped away in a moment of carnage. Right? Like totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, it's easy to wrap up his dead body then in that blanket that he just got right. blasted next to. Intense to Very how cool. as the guys are trying to flee, everywhere they go, they get caught up. And you got that moment where they're running on one side of the railroad strip and they got the folks on the other side of the railroad strip and they're just exchanging shots like over the mm-hmm. rails. And it's real close. And distance. it's sporadic mm-hmm. shooting, you know, because the the guns are all single shot stuff, yep. you know, like it's it's really a a it's a pretty decent scary shootout. Um, and this is where we get that baptism it, scene. One of the last people to escape runs into Danny and says, "Jesus, don't shoot." <laughs> Jesus, don't shoot me. And Jesus yeah, it was that one guy who just answered the ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the guy that was like, "I don't know why I'm here." Right? That's that was the guy, the innocent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The guy goes running across the water um, because Danny lets him go, and then Danny turns to look at him, and the guy gets his head blown off, and when he turns around to see who did it, Joe Keenahan. Mm-hmm. And Joe Keenahan says, I make exceptions to the rule, and winks at the kid. Turns around, and Joe Keenahan's sitting in a tank asking him if the bottom is mud or <laughs> He's got solid. the machine gun. Yeah. The machine gun we haven't seen fired yet to that point. So um, Danny he shoots refuses the- to shoot this guy, but becomes a soldier. He, he he becomes someone is with he a the good power soldier? 
to kill. I mean, a soldier like, of the Union, right? The movie's saying, yeah, I think the movie is saying that's what a good soldier is, right? And you show up with a gun, but you only use it justly, so to speak. And he comes out as the kind of future, and he says he preaches the Union. So I guess he puts his gun down. Yeah, I think yeah. he just. I think he. Although, sadly, the movie doesn't really show him, I think, fully make... I think it shows him making the right choice, but it doesn't really show him learning it fully. Because I think that for these people, they are not going to learn it until this whole story plays out, Mm -hmm. which is the National Guard like coming in and disarming them and essentially sending them back to work with pretty much nothing gained except a a legendary story, like the Irish, you know, like a legendary defeat. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets the voiceover. We learn that Sid had a trial, but no one was going to find him guilty. Um, uh, we had about- to, we get to see poor Testerman dying in the street, and he's mm-hmm. like, "I didn't want any of this." That was awful. It's like again, I feel like he's so coming out real pathetic. Sad. I feel like he's coming out real pathetic. Like I'm I mean, glad I think that you think he's a hero, but he doesn't seem super heroic to me. I don't think <laughs> he's heroic, but well, I think it's like it's just sad. You know, it's, pesos. It's sad. It's sad to see his his story like visualized. I no think, doubt, because you re- you read it and you're like you're like oh yeah, and the mayor was there, and it's like well, why would have the the mayor have been there for that shootout and like the whole thing? And he's just like truly a guy that's trying to also defuse the situation. He just wanted and to he, talk, and he gets he's the one the guy who went out there to blow two heads off comes out Survives. without a scratch yep he just hip shoots and gets the cool mm-hmm. like it's like the night before he's putting the bullets in, like being super cool you know it's like i don't know yeah he's the guy too that the sid sheriff is the guy when uh, joe Kena- keenahan comes in he's like it's not illegal to talk is it and he's like well that depends on what you're talking <laughs> about and then he lives and all this guy wanted to do is talk well i guess just depends there's a time and a place for that yeah otherwise um, back heat Joe's dead. Joe's been been shot in the head. What's her name? Elma finds him there. Um, it's quick. It's a bummer. You see it, but it's quick. He comes running around the corner. He shouts, no. The shooting starts. The bad guys get it. The mayor gets it. You see Joe get it so fast. And then it's like nothing. Really? Do you ever see? I didn't I ever see him so. actually get I watched shot. it again oh. today and I thought so, but I, I think it's it's really quick. It's like right when it happens. And then he's just laying there. Oh, that'd it's be interesting because I totally thought it was just glorious. that reveal there at the end where it's like just the end of the movie where it's like, oh, yeah, and guess he what? He set this it guy up died. with the whole like Mennonites and their sacrifice thing for me yeah. to make it feel like he would have a lot more agency in his death, you know, and he's like yeah, acting as an agent in that moment, but it's just it's so happenstance and so clean. Is there anything to him laying across the railroad tracks? I kept trying to dig that one up. Like the Griggs and Hickey going <laughs> right like that. Then there's a train approaches. Well, I don't it's know. just, I mean, his face was so perfectly laying on that rail and the blood mm-hmm. was going on the rail. And part of me was like, there's your juxtaposition, I guess, of the industry and the, the working man. Yeah, so to speak. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a certain, a certain amount of film criticism that says that, uh, that absolutely you could just plow forward with that concept right there. And, write a generally convincing paper about it <laughs> and which is really all we're after <laughs> which is really all we're after and it's like yeah sure right yeah, the people write that. Like, finish it and be like that is convincing <laughs> yeah the image of the of the pacifist laid out across the fucking railroad yeah. rail that's very hmm. 
I was hmm. going to say, in any case, 22 movies, but we found a movie with pacifism in it, Charles. I'm freaking <laughs> pumped. <laughs> Danny's got a thousand yard stare at the end he of the movie. He does. There it is. Yeah. As he goes into the coal mine, he earned his thousand yard stare. Hmm. Interesting. And that's it. It ends um, very uh, dissatisfyingly, right? Like, it's not, we did it. It's, 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 it is. Heroic. The shootout's super like, fast. It is. It's, it's, over in minutes and it doesn't i mean again it doesn't come off as like a big glory moment it just comes off as a bunch of pointless shooting that the people happen to win it's almost confusing too right. like and then the voiceover is like we didn't though and we didn't and all everything he said yeah everything that he said that was going to happen if we did that actually turned out to happen and we came out on the raw end of that deal and so yeah. now i say what he tried to tell us so again, I like what I said at the top, I, I absolutely love so much of this movie. And I think as a component for this project, it's absolutely essential. It's doing a lot of things that no other movies we're talking about are doing. And I think Sales is really good at that. He puts his criticism forward. He understands that filmmaking is a kind of pedagogy. And so he takes responsibility, I think, for the lessons he wants to teach. I think it's soft on whiteness. I think, you know, Joe comes off as totally non- racist he's like invisible in this conversation except for the sake of trying to get people together for the union it, okay, it does the iww in- is one of the first is the first union from yeah. the beginning and again that, i don't have that to was deny all that inclusive to say that yeah that's not a question of anti-racism so much as just economic necessity it's the same thing as the emancipation proclamation that was a I military hope- tactic it wasn't necessarily like you know lincoln might have felt principally right or whatever but the rhetoric that he embodied was that that was a military tactic it was born out of necessity and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think that while on the one hand we're showing that and we're doing all the invitational things that you say that this movie is doing i think that's cool we also have to own that it's soft peddling the racism of the union and the agents therein, kind of acting like we can just look beyond it and get over it and talk our way through it like we're fighting over food. Um, and I do. I, I feel like it comes off a little soft at the end, although I will absolutely acknowledge when it comes to pacifism that like it eschews the gun. This movie is constantly saying you don't want the gun, you don't want the gun, and the guns in it don't seem that great. They really don't. They, like, you, like we were saying, noisy, confusing, threatening, um, pointless pretty pointless not resolving much they stare down a machine gun and it does not fire that was that mm-hmm. was cool yeah, when i never saw, saw that fire. machine gun i was like that thing's gonna fire because of course it has to if we're gonna fetishize technology we're gonna like rip that thing off Mm-mm. no i dig it it's cool yeah i mean they fire it over the uh, ending credits just at some steel <laughs> just down range just so we could see it like Jarhead. we just see the camera crew and everybody just yeah <laughs> hanging out and just watching it fire shootout ends in town and there's a bunch of security guards on the hill like but we didn't even get to shoot this thing <laughs> yeah, we're just still here at the mine <laughs> i can't go to back to philly without having mm-hmm. fired my gun i could be wrong but i think it was the same gun that we saw in um the big parade that had the big barrel with the little barrel and in that movie there was a little candle that came out and we said the strings went oh yeah no, totally yeah I, I think that's the i think it's it's potentially the same gun that's um that they're using in Siege of Jadoville when they tip the, uh, but also in that movie they're specifically commenting about how old it is. Right. So 
I mean, yeah. this this movie takes place in the 1920s. It's still insane, though. I mean, it's wild when you see situations like that where it's like, you guys just work for a mining company. Why do you have I a know. machine gun? Yeah. Why would you ever have that? Yeah, because the logics like old of Sears catalog it costs a hundred dollars. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the logics of securitization are broad and all encompassing. And if it comes to resource extraction, it doesn't really matter where it is. They're going to go there and the guns are going to follow. Just a great episode. I think there's a lot cooking in this movie in terms of situating rhetoric of nonviolence within a rhetoric of warfare. And that makes the kind of, um, really fatalistic drive to the gunfight almost necessary i feel like i don't know it was interesting it's, what a great contribution it's a good movie i'm so happy that it's on criterion to make it easier for people to buy now mm -hmm. um absolutely pick it up if this seems they had it at uh, the library this... and i would imagine most libraries would and that makes me happy mm -hmm. it wasn't the blu-ray so charles is sad but um they did have it at the library and that awesome makes me happy yeah so yeah because this this is generally a movie that can can be at times be hard to find um, so, so here, you're hearing it from us. Uh, we don't always agree, but this is a, this is a buy for me. Yeah. Um, it's always good to have these, um, to have the movies that you like a hard copy of them that you can watch at any time and not have to rely on streaming. I bought Dan Busters, but not this one. And I know for a fact I did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what is next? We are in. I'm still glad I watched Dan Busters. Batch yeah, 8. And it's... this was the first movie. So what happens next okay. in Batch 8? We're going to go to 2002 and visit a guy named Paul Greengrass who loves to shake a camera. And we're going to watch a movie called Bloody Sunday. Mm. Mm -hmm. Is yeah, it about you good. too? Is mm -hmm. Bono going to It's about be how it? they wrote the song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh, how about if we wrote a song about a Sunday that was bloody? It was bloody. A Sunday was bloody. Bloody Sunday. They we, sound, they, they, you two's from Liverpool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. Well, we have done um seven full batches, and this will make the second movie of our eighth. We are wrapping our way towards the end of season one here. Um, And it's just really, I, I like like waiting to see what's next it's like the second movie in a batch to me is really interesting because it starts answering questions that the first one opens and mm. this one is like situated it sounds like kind of like people's rebellions and like when the people go to war or something i don't know but it's going to be cool to see how it compares to this movie and the other ones for sure i can't wait i can't wait and i'd love to hear also what other people have to say and contribute to our conversations do we have an email we do. Or a phone number that people can call. <laughs> yeah, not a phone neither number, one a voicemail of us apparently know it. Voicemail line. <laughs> if you go to our anchor page, that is one place that you can go to leave us a voicemail for sure. You, we do have a, an email that I know, and it is Real War Project, R-E-E-L, Real War Project, all one word, at gmail.com. You can send us movie ideas. You can send us complaints. You can send us pretty much whatever you want. And um, you would be like the third or fourth person ever to send us any email. So we'll probably talk about you on the show. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. If you about. just have interesting thoughts that contribute to the conversation, even if they don't have a conclusion yet, a lot of our thoughts don't have a conclusion yet. And they're all developing as we go along. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated to hear what other film dorks like me have to uh, have to say and what weird threads they're connecting. Please. Not just my sister. Yep. While we sit around and wait for that mailbag to fill up, Charles, I'm going to um, head on up the mountain here and see what happens if I stick my pick into this hollow-sounding piece of ceiling. Okay. Well, I'm just going to um, 
follow my new Italian co-workers down into this mine shaft over here, and I'm just going to tap on everything as if it were a drum. See you, dude. See you, Charles. them with guns we lose that's a whole damn story zach and matt discuss some of the best and worst horror movies out there check out all four seasons of watch no evil lauren and sarah riff on changing topics each week whether it's celebrity horoscopes the poop cruise or smell a vision you'll laugh along with dippers catch up on pop culture news and reviews every week with brandon biggs and carl on not safe for network Professor Aaron Donaldson and Purple Heart recipient Charles Horgan break down war movies, their narratives, and the rhetoric behind them on Real War Project. <laughs>